LBC 97.3. Call 0845 606973. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC 973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. What do you mean take an alternative route on the M4? What alternative route? What alternative route is there? You live in Slough and you're coming in on the M4, so you turn left. Now where do you go? Now where do you go? They say, take the M3. What, if you live in Slough? What, if you live in Windsor? Or you're coming in from Henley? All these places, because somebody... How do they find this crack? They're just going along... Good Lord, there's a crack there. I mean, you know, millions of cars must use this in the course of a year. Well, they must do. We had that ludicrous situation a, uh, a while ago where they, if you remember, we actually put in a bus lane. A bus lane, I ask you. You know, so everybody sat there, banked up in the two left-hand lanes, while the bus lane remained almost permanently empty. Now you can drive in the bus lane. And to be honest with you, it didn't make any difference, because you come down from doing 70 miles an hour, and then you come just into where it goes up on the elevated section, and it drops down to 40 miles an hour. You try doing 70, and then drive down to 40. Nobody does it. Every taxi is doing 50, 60 miles. Everybody's doing it. Every bus exceeds the speed limit. Oh, God. I went down the motorway. When did I go down the motorway last? must have been Friday. I went down to do something. And it seemed... No, Saturday. And it seemed that every car on the motorway, I had three of them, they had to get in front of my car. So you drive down, and all of a sudden you, you get them right up behind you, don't you? The, 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 little, the little sort of... The little kiddies in their little souped-up cars with the half-blacked-out windows and the silly little cheap wheels which they've bought down in Halfords. And they think they look classy, whereas we all think you look like nerds. And so they, they, they come right up behind you. So all I do is I just touch the accelerator because I can do naught to 60 in about three seconds. It's as simple as that. This thing takes off. It's super turbocharged. It's double, you know, it's double everything. And you push it down. And so you leave them behind. And so they then obviously get the hamsters working on the wheels. And they've got to get in front of you. They've got to get in front of you. So they then, once they've actually got up speed and they're going downhill, they've got to quickly nip into the left-hand lane and then cut in front of you because it obviously makes them feel better. And you look at them, and of course I, I give them all, you know, the typical, the typical well done you, you're a very bright, intelligent person kind of look, and uh, withering generally. And, and you think to yourself, they're so stupid. You know, small wonder, you know, that people have accidents and everything else on the motorway and you've got buffoons like that out there. The two of them were actually branded vehicles. Branded vehicles. Couldn't believe it. Anyway, there's still water all over the place. Luckily, not raining in London this morning, so that's good news. Not that it'll make any difference when you're sitting on the M4 in the, uh, the traffic jam from mother of all traffic jams. I love it. Find an alternative route, they say. You better keep listening to LBC. It's the only place that's going to get you through it. You're probably all thinking, what do you mean, find an alternative route? And what time do we set off? About an hour ahead of what you would normally do, because you are going to be sitting in the mother of all traffic jams. Because the M4, in on the elevated section, it's huge. It's huge. I remember when they first put the speed cameras up there, and they, uh, they, and I remember thinking, you're going to catch everybody. You're going to get everybody on the speed cameras. Lo and behold, in one day, I think they got more than 20,000 cars, because everybody speeds. So they, then, then they put the silly speed limit in, and of course everybody slows right down, so you practice invalid carriages going faster than you, and women with dogs. It's as simple as that. And so they, they sort of come in, and now you won't be just come in, because it's all been closed so you've got to find an alternative route. So the only alternative route I can think of, if you can get round there, is the back of Heston. I can't think of any other way. If you've got to come off before... It's junctions one to three, I think. I'll have to check when Andy McCall comes in and, uh, and Joanne and find out exactly what it is, because you're going to have to come off back through, uh, through Hounslow, through, through the Great West Road, and come in that way. And that's chock-a-block at the best of times. So it's going to completely screw your day up. It really is. I mean, you know, as if the tennis didn't do that. It's funny, they all said yesterday, they said, oh, ev London will be deserted because of the tennis. 
No, it wasn't. It was chock-a-block yesterday. Absolutely chock-a-block because there was some... There must have been a run-on or something like that because I came into town. I was going out for lunch. And I sort of came through thinking, I'll park on Pall Mall. Every single parking bay taken out. Taken out, you know. And then all of a sudden, all these blooming runners. I've never seen so many people. So I managed to get round Pall Mall. And then I looked at Trafalgar Square and thought, well blow that for soldiers. I'm not going around there because that was chock-a-block as well. So in the end I parked up, phoned, phoned the friend I was having lunch with and said, listen, I'll, I'll collect you, you know, you tell me when, you, when you've left the building. So it was obviously here. And then I'll, I'll just nip round the corner and pick you up because I'm literally, I'm just parked up a little way away. But everywhere you look, there's tour- and have you noticed that tourists have this inability to understand what the colour red means? So if, it, if it's a little red man, they walk. If it's a little green man, they just sort of stand there looking a bit blank. So, of course, I'm constantly, beep, 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 get out the blooming road. And once you've got a crocodile going, it's never-ending. You know, we've got all the tourists in town, which, don't get me wrong, I love the tourists. You can't go down the Mall, because presumably they're digging that up for something. It must be for the Olympics. But the whole of the Mall, St James's Park, it's a real dog's dinner, but at least it's providing work for people, so that's quite nice. And then we all sit down and watch the tennis. So I went, went and had dinner, came back, and the tennis was still on. Went out, had a couple of drinks, came back, the tennis was still on. And, um... And then everybody goes, oh, Andy Murray has, has lost. And I thought, well, it was expected. But he played a good game. You can't fault him for that. He played a good game. I mean, frankly, he's as boring as, as a plank. He's, he's the most dull man I've ever seen inter- interviewed. Not even not half as boring. Who was that other one? Tim Henman. <gasps> he was dull when he played tennis. He was more, or even worse when he was doing the commentary. I've never heard such a boring man. God in heaven. Where did they get it? Give him a personality, for Christ's sake. What a bore. Even one of the columnists today has said in the paper, they've said exactly the same. They've said Tim Edmund's head, uh, tennis was bad enough. His commentary was even worse. He's just boring. And if, the, if that's the best thing you can say about somebody, it's, re- it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And then, of course, Andy Murray cried, which I thought was great. I love the cry bit. I thought the cry bit was great. And then people criticised him for crying. I thought, eh, these, these are the sort of people who would cry if their hamster got run over. You know, and to be honest with you, people warmed to him a bit more because he became human. I mean, there's a lot of emotion going on out there, trying to hit a ball over a blooming piece of netting. It's not easy, as he proved. And people liked him more. His girlfriend cried, the Duchess of Cambridge became emo- Everybody was emotional. Victoria Beckham still had a face looking like a squashed tomato, still as bored as anything. And everybody else going, oh, oh, it's a shame. But he cried. And then people on LBC phoning up going, oh, it's wussy to cry. Yeah, I bet you're a wow at funerals. Bet you're a wow at funerals. Oh, dear. And then, then, I got the best package I've had in my entire life, which came in from Bill, from Enfield, who sent me in... I was talking about theatres. Sure, well, we always talk about theatres on the programme, and he had some lovely theatre programmes. And these are from uh, all sorts of... Th- they're, re- they're absolutely lovely. I mean, they really are. The Bedford Palace of Varieties. I mean, these theatre posters, one of them goes back to 1894. And... Um, on this particular one, it's got loads of adverts for loads of people, and the programme was a penny, and it starts with the overture, and you haven't heard of any of these people on here. They've got jugglers, musical and comedy artistes, a clay modeller called Ravel, Joseph Henley, Abel and Welsh, grotesque eccentrics. I mean, these are absolutely wonderful. They're really super. Parkhurst Theatre Holloway. <laughs> kind of figures why they named the prison there. And it's got, it even tells you where you sit. It's not a big theatre, the Parkhurst, but they had uh, Dick Whittington, Dick played by Miss Jenny Richards and Alice, his sweetheart, the dearest little maid ever made, Miss Florence Trevelyan. And it's absolutely wonderful. And you can stay, you, you can actually go to the theatre for the all-in price of two and sixpence at the side. Or if you want to, if you want to go in the pit, it's a shilling. 
and it had si- 11 scene changes. And also, it's got wonderful things here. The original F-Stone purveyor of the best American beef in Font Hill Road, Finsbury Park. In fact, they've got four shops, Newington Green, Horns... I wonder if they're still around. The Suisse Café Restaurant, Seven Sisters Road. These are lovely things. Obviously, you must have collected these over the years. The Borough Theatre, Tuppence it was, Tuppence for this particular programme. Absolutely wonderful. The, uh, the Empire in Penge. Penge, you're an empire. You're very lucky. You should be very thrilled. And they had um, a wonderful thing, a music, a mystery sensation by Dion Tetheridge. But then the London Alhambra, Leicester Square. This is my favourite brochure of all time, because this, this programme here is from 1922. 1922, and if you want to sit in the circle, it was threepence. And uh, there's, there's all sorts of restaurants which are in here. And they've got the Dancing Demons... They've got they've got everything. It was it's just absolutely wonderful. It really is really lovely stuff. So thank you very much indeed, for that young man. Very very nice. And uh, I shall I shall try, I shall read them more more closely a little bit later on. Uh, so I've been through the papers. Okay, typical Monday, nothing. Okay, because I can't find anything. So what they do is they reprint Sunday, except for Jamie Oliver's wife who checks all his, all his emails and texts, and she thinks that's normal. Well, it isn't. It's only normal if you suspect him of cheating. You know, if you actually trust somebody, why would you check check their, their texts and emails? But she's in all the papers. She says, I check them to make sure that he's not cheating. I know this was discussed. I mean, I think that is really sneaky. I think that's really sneaky. You know, you almost wish he was. She says, I'll check his email. I'll check his Twitter. I'll check his phone. Everything seems fine, she says. He says, I'm a jealous girl, but I think uh, I'm fairly laid back. I think you're on a knife edge. I think you must be completely barking mad. You check all that stuff. And this is a marriage, is it? God. Must be really t- terrible for you every time he goes out and he puts his arm around somebody. You must absolutely hate it. Uh, strangely enough, in a 2008 interview, she said, I'm very secure. People say, oh, you can't trust a man 100%, but I'm afraid I say I can. Well, you don't. You quite clearly don't. That's why you're, that's why you're checking his emails, because you think he might be cheating. I mean, what would you do if you found out that he's got some... See, you'd go up the wall, wouldn't you? And that's why you're checking. It's got nothing to do with you being secure. It's to do with your insecurity that you check. And she says here, she was once ridiculed for saying she was certain he would never cheat on her during his long absences filming cookery programmes. Well, you know, if he's he's making a programme, I shouldn't imagine he's remotely bothered about things like that. But quite clearly, you don't trust him. You don't, because if, if, if you check things like that, God, you must be really insecure. Must be absolutely dreadful. I don't know how you cope. Don't know how you cope. Uh, 84850, steve uk. Uh, lots of people were talking to Duncan about, you know, people who uh, who cry and people who sort of have a good marriage. And, and some people do, do cheat in their marriages. And you can still have a, a fairly successful marriage. Front of every paper, of course, it's uh, all the, uh, the sports mad Brits. I don't know where they get the sports mad Brits from, because, frankly, you know, we can't play sport. I mean, you know, it's very nice. Yeah, it's very nice that we make the effort, but, frankly, we can't play football. In fact, the only thing we, we, we can actually do is, is, uh, is it curling or hurling? Well, we, we do, I think we do curling, and we could do that. And I think we're fairly good at synchronised swimming, but any of the butch sports, we're a bunch of girls, aren't we? We can't, we can't play football. Look at our team. Might as well stick a bunch of Nellies out there, ladies and gentlemen. They could play better. There's, there's little boys' clubs can play better than little girls' clubs. And all, the, all these people, they couldn't give a forex about you. They're not bothered. They're making so much money. Why would they worry about a little bit of football so we lose a game? Pfft. Who's gonna, no, nobody fires them. Nobody fires them. They don't come back and go, right, that's it. You, you know, we, we're going to take you off. You have to go and be a window dresser or something like that because you're too girly. Because they, they, we can't play football. Now we can't play tennis, but then we never could play tennis, could we? I mean, Ten Enman never could. 
How we ever made that much money on losing, I've got no idea. But if that's what losing is and that's what it gives you, I want to be a loser. But sadly, I'm not. I'm a winner. And that's why I'm here telling you it's quarter past four. LBC 97.3 LBC 97.3 London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. See that Amy Winehouse's mum thinks her daughter's been reincarnated as a butterfly. Hate to tell you, but it's not true. Okay, she's not she's not back as a butterfly. Okay, okay, it's the way it goes. I'm sorry, you know, don't want to sort of pop your balloon, as it were. But uh, she says I'm pretty sure she's come back as a butterfly because she'd love the freedom of flying. I know the amount of drugs she took. She probably thought she could fly most of the time. I would think, <laughs> poor soul. But uh, anyway, there's the book out, which Mitch has written, and uh, I suppose somebody's got to say something, haven't they? I mean, actually, she she pitched up Amy Winehouse the other day. I was watching a program, which was it was so the, the commentary was so awful that I had to check who it was, and I realised it was Peter Andre. Oh, God, he's a drip. God, he's awful. And he was doing this... Anyway, she, uh, Amy Winehouse pitched in with, uh, with some record, which I can't remember what it was, but it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And I was nearly tempted to go and buy an album. And I thought, no, well, am I going to listen to it? No, probably not. Probably not. And I had to, yesterday I was ferrying some people back. We'd all been out for, for lunch at the Woolsey, which is very nice indeed. And I had roast beef and Yorkshire pudding, and it was just the best roast beef I've ever had. I mean, it was just, it was just, it was just a nice, nice day, apart from all the traffic. Very stressed with the traffic, very, st- very stressed with everything. But we got a parking space literally over the road from the Woolsey, which is up next to the Ritz. And, um, and I'm then taking everybody back in the car. I can't remember what I started telling you this story, but anyway... And- Yes, I did. And so I'm, I'm taking people back. And it was actually, it was just really nice, actually. London was looking at its best. But there, there was a big Greek march taking place, just as we were all crossing the road. And they held up the march for us so we could get across the road. It helped that we had a celebrity with us, I think. <laughs> but uh, we were talking... I was talking to the person I was having lunch with yesterday about Amy Winehouse, because Amy used to go to this friend of mine's house and have cups of coffee and tea and stuff like that. And they used to have chats. Which is most unlikely alliance. Most unlikely alliance. But um, that was that. So I, I thought, and, and as, we're, as we're driving through, I've got my iPod playing in the car. And halfway, the, the person who was sitting in the front said to me, is that a Christmas carol I'm listening to? And I went, yeah. And so I turned it up a bit, and I've, it, was, it had got to the section of my 4,800 tunes, which was the Christmas section. So we were playing Christmas carols. And the person in the back of the car just collapsed in giggles. I went, I cannot believe. We're sitting in the back of Steve Allen's car in the middle of so-called summer, when the weather is so vile and we're listening to Christmas carols. And I said, well, there you go. Life is ever stranger, as it certainly is for Tom Cruise, who's in all the papers again today. He's with his best friend. This is um, the uh, the leader of uh, of the cult, the Scientologists. And they spent a fortune on gifts for him. They even tore down a giant eucalyptus tree to make him a pen. It's all a bit bizarre because it turns out the leader of the Scientologists, whose name I can't pronounce, liked buying... Th- in fact, he went on Tom Cruise's honeymoon. Just somewhat peculiar, isn't it? I mean, it's not not normal, you know. You sort of there's you, the wife, and the bloke who runs Scientology. You know, we don't know if he's married or he's not married. We don't know anything about him. We just know he runs Scientology, and he's obviously very enamoured of Tom Cruise because they like celebrity members in Scientology. So they, he bought him all these gifts. At one point, they had um, a, a luxury coach called Silver Screen, and the actor it says here, demanded that it was fitted with a drawer to keep slippers in so people didn't walk in on the carpet with dirty shoes. I had a friend like that once. He had carpet fitted in the house and it was cream. And every time he got to the front door, he'd go, you have to take your shoes off. So you had to walk around in your socks, which is nice, but then don't have beige carpet put in. So uh, Tom Cruise, desperately trying to get his, uh, his wife back. She's not interested. And, um, and people are still talking about crying, which is a little bit of a sadness. So if you are thinking of coming into town today and you're coming on the M4... 
Uh, I'd, I'd set off now. Because you're going to need to, because, I mean, the A4 will be at a standstill later on, as you will discover. And then there's a woman, quite clearly she's out to make trouble. Okay, Because this story is just, it's a non-starter, it's a no-brainer. It's a woman called Holly. And Holly Beckett, 22, she's a mum, of course she is, she's 22. And she goes out and she goes to Tesco and she sees two dolls. One black, one white. Both the same, both the same dolls. They're both Emmy baby dolls. The black doll was cheaper. The black doll was £4.97, and the white doll was £5.96. So she she complained. She said, to t- this is outrageous. I mean, because quite clearly, she's not the most intelligent person, and she's, because she didn't know the full story, she's seeing something that, that isn't, isn't actually there. And she reckoned the reason for the price variation was because the dolls have a different ethnicity. OK? This woman sees problems where there are no problems. So, uh, and, then, and she asks other customers, what, what do you think about that? Look, black doll, cheaper. I can't honestly, I'll be snapping up the black dolls like there was no tomorrow because they're quite clearly cheaper. And so she thinks she's being really bright and really clever. So she complains to Tesco's. And, but, I mean, they have different names, but the dolls are the same. They've got, you know, different coloured skin quite clearly. One is sort of, you know, a dark doll and one is a lighter doll. And uh, one's got a pink outfit, one's purple, and they make different sounds. And pictured on the side of the box, on the black doll, is a black little girl playing with a doll. Why well, it shouldn't have been a boy. You see, I'm complaining about the boys. Because normally boys play with dolls. You know, and it's nothing to matter with that at all. That's great. You can have boy dolls. And then on the, the, the white box, there's a little white girl playing with the white ball. So she reported the price differences to something. Because by this time, she's incandescent with rage. She's so cross, she can't see anything. She's not, as I say, the most bright person. So Tesco's have come back. And they've said... You know, it isn't about, or she said, it isn't about the money. Because when she complained to the store staff, they tried to offer the white doll at the same price as the black one. She said it's not the money, because she's a bit like that. She said it's the fact that the white doll is a quid more dear than the black one, and that can sow all kinds of ideas in people's heads. Quite clearly yours, love. Because as Tesco said, the black doll has only just come on sale, so it's offered at a discount. Because if you checked in the shop the other week, the white doll was being sold for £4.97. So all they've done is they've introduced a new doll and they've put it in at the lower price. You know, the product is being sold at an introductory price. That's all there is to it. So silly little Holly made yourself look a complete turnip, haven't you? Because you didn't check properly. You just sort of thought, oh, that's wrong. Even though she's white. I don't know what she's complaining about. She'd been black. She'd been buying the things up like there was no tomorrow. So uh, silly little Holly. And, you know, really... You should have checked properly. You really, really should have should have checked because it just made you look daft. She said, oh, here we go. It's at Dudley in the West Midlands. It's a disgrace and it's disgusting, she says, because I have to pay a pound more for a white dog. Well, don't buy it. Buy something else. Try being adults. 22 years old. Quite clearly, your brains are in your feet. Ridiculous. Oh, by the way, I knew I was going to bring you up to date with something. And the up-to-date is Marks and Spencers are still cheating you on the newspapers. This is week three. You'll remember... That Marks and Spencer's head office, apparently, that's what the manager said, it's head office, haven't changed the prices on their newspapers to reflect the price on the front of the newspaper. So when you went in yesterday to buy The Sun, it comes up as a pound on their till, but in fact it's 50p. If you want to buy The Daily Star, it's 60p. On Marks and Spencer's tills, it comes up as 95p. If you want to buy The Sunday Express, it's pound thirty, but it comes up on their till as pound thirty-five. So I mentioned to the bloke on the till, who was the same one who served me last week, I said, they've still not done anything about it. He went, no. He said, I'm surprised. I said, are you really? He went, no, not really. Marks and Spencers couldn't give a forex about you. And so unless you actually check your bill, Marks and Spencers are charging you extra. Now, it's fine if you're just buying the papers, 
because that's all the people look at, the papers. But if you're doing all your shopping, how many, how many of you sit there and check every item as it goes through on the till? Nobody. You don't check it. So it'd be quite easy to be paying well over the odds for the newspapers because for the third week running now, Marks and Spencers have not put their house in order. This is, this is ongoing. This is on... How many times does it take to remind Marks and Spencers? The third week we've now reported it. The third week. Do you think we can dare go to a fourth week? Answer is yes, we probably will, I'm afraid. Probably will. Jade Goody's ex, Jeff Brazier, has found a new love. Do you know, I'll tell you what, Jeff, do us all a favour. It's very sweet that you're bringing up the kids. It's very sweet that you're a bit thick. It's very sweet that you don't have a career in television or anything else like that, because, frankly, you're rubbish. But don't keep going. We're not interested in your life or anything about it, OK? Try and live out of the media. I know it's not easy. I know that you like the limelight, and I know that you're desperate to be something. But, frankly, you've had your five minutes. Stay in. Keep your girlfriend and you together. Look after the kids. Stop parading everybody in the limelight, OK? Because it'll come back and it'll bite you on the bum. And then all of a sudden you'll be crying and nobody will have any sympathy for you. You know, nobody is interested. Nobody's in. He's going out with a page three girl, but that's about his sort of level. You know, he, he got dropped from the Channel 5 programme because it was, it was just a dreadful programme. The format was rubbish. The presenters were rubbish. It just, it just didn't do anything at all. It's like watching Big Brother. Like watch a little bit like watching Big Brother, where you look at the people in there and you think you're just vile. Just you wait till you see what the lineup is for Celebrity Big Brother. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. One of the people they've actually got for Celebrity Big Brother. What if I saved a bit of paper? I, was, I, I remember saying to myself yesterday when I was going through the papers because the time we had this this late lunch, I sort of I, I came back in again and. Um, and I sort of had to whiz through the papers in, in double-quick time. So I was, I was trying to find the article of, uh, of this person who's going into Celebrity Big Brother. And I knew that you'd be thrilled to know who it is. I'm not going to find the piece. Oh, here it is. OK, this is the girl going into Celebrity Big Brother, Rianne Sugden. This is, this is Celebrity Big Brother, OK? You got, you got the name in your head? Rianne Sugden. No, I didn't know who she was either. What is her claim to fame, ladies and gentlemen? What is Rianne? Apart from the fact she's glam the model... Okay, so that's good news, isn't it? In other words, she'll take a kit off for just about anybody, provided they're paying money. She's famous because Vernon Kay sent her those sex texts. And that is her claim to fame. That is it. That is the the sum total of topless model Rianne Sugden. I mean, you look at her and you just feel pity in your heart. And, you know, if anything makes you cry, it's looking at her. And you feel a bit sorry for dirty boy Vernon Kay. Because, you know, had he not said... And apparently... They're hoping if they put her in Big Brother, Celebrity Big Brother, because it's down-market tabloid stuff, because it's on Channel 5, so nobody will see it. They're hoping that uh, she'll be talking about Vernon, and it'll be a ratings winner. Well, as Vernon Kay's programmes never rate anyway, who'd be remotely interested? And apparently, uh, the fact that she's given interviews about it in the past suggests she may well open up again. Oh, I should imagine Rianne Sugden has opened up, ladies and gentlemen, so many times in her life. You know, wave a few £20 notes in front of this poor old soul and she'll talk about any old drivel. That's her claim to fame. However, they're also going to put in as well Alicia Dixon's ex, MC Harvey. It'll be nice. Uh, Samantha Brick. Samantha Brick. This creature is apparently now a celebrity wanted by Ch- nobody else, just Channel 5. And, uh, I mean, she's a bit sad... And she's a bit... This is the woman who thought she was too beautiful. All other women hated her. She's so dull. She makes Tim Henman look like he's got a personality. And also, Julie Goodyear, the chain-smoking ex-actress, who, frankly, is as boring as anything. Have you ever seen her? It's bad drag. 
It's very, very bad drag. She'll be in it. She won't last five minutes. But they're really hoping that this girl, this is, uh, this is uh, Rianne Sugden, will spill the beans on Vernon Kay and will embarrass him throughout the summer. Well, Toss Daly still stay with him. And, you know, they're not going to finish, are they, now? Toss has got her own programme. Vernon's got this. Have you seen this programme on ITV Saturday Night? I didn't think that he could actually plumb new, new depths, but uh, he has. His presentational skills have got worse, and the programme is dire. Not half as bad as trying to find Jesus. You know, trying to find Jesus for Andrew Lloyd Webber. He's in my local church, Andrew. Don't bother looking anywhere else. That's where Jesus lives. You won't find a better Jesus Christ superstar than the one down my, my church, OK? He's willing to, because the rest of it is rubbish. And Jonathan Ansell pitched up. And he's already going into the West End in a show. It's not right, you know. It's not right. It's LBC 97.3. The time this Monday morning, 4.30. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning. Uh, the Olympic torch did Harlow. It did Chelmsford. I spoke to a friend of mine who lives in Chelmsford and they were up at quarter to seven to go and see it past the end of the road. And then it pitched up somewhere else. So my godchildren, well, those who were awake, went down to see it. And, uh, oh, amazing whooping and clapping and cheering and things like that. It hasn't hi- quite uh, hit Twickenham yet, which is a bit of a shame. And, uh, and Noreen saw the Olympic torch dead on time to the second. Very organised and thank goodness no rain. I know. Great time in Clacton, she said. You know, I've, I haven't been to Clacton for many a year, and I feel that Clacton should be on my list of places to go to. She says, no doubt you're distraught with the tennis. Gutted. Gutted. In fact, it was so funny because the people I was going out for, um, for dinner with, yesterday, lunch, uh, it's been organised for about a couple of weeks now. And it was quite nice. But then at the last minute, uh, they sent me um, a message. And the message, I won't read all of it, it just says... Uh, it says, as so-and-so, so-and-so and I are not religious tennis fans, it's only right that we ask you if you are and if you'd rather reschedule lunch so you can watch the possible historic game. Promise we won't be offended, but please be honest if you'd like to see it. So I wrote back and said I'd rather watch a snail doing aerobics than watch the tennis. I couldn't really care less. <laughs> didn't make the slightest difference. And we had such a good lunch. It was, it was just lovely. So uh, thank you very much indeed. Lovely pictures in the paper over the weekend of a bull goring a man in Pamplona. I was so pleased. Because I love this. Because as far as I'm concerned, this is animal cruelty at its, at its possible height. This is where lots of stupid people, mainly Spanish, run around in the streets goading bulls. And luckily, every so often, a bull kills somebody. And, every so, and you think, but of course it is. It's a bull with horns. This time, the bull goes for this bloke. Because fr- frankly, if somebody's running next to you, pushing you and prodding you, you're going to bloody well retaliate. I've often said on this programme that if you gave foxes in the countryside 12-bore shotguns, you wouldn't have people on on horses jumping over hedges to try and kill the little things. And I think in the same case, every time a bull scores a victory, I go, yes, one up to bulls. And so what it did, it sort of went down to gore him, you know, which is kind of... Because if somebody's goading you and prodding you and sticking things in you, you're going to retaliate, aren't you? But because they're so frightened, thousands of people go there, you know, and every year somebody's killed... And every year, I think, was your own blooming fault for going there in the first place. You know, you must be stupid. And it gets his horn under his bandana, which is round his neck. So, of course, as it tries to lift him up, it's, it's strangling him. But, um, anyway, he was, uh, he was skewered. He escaped unscathed, which was a bit of a shame, really, wasn't it? You always hope for a f- couple of fatalities. Maybe one day they'll actually sort of spare these poor bulls the, the ignominy of actually going out there and having to run through the streets, terrify for their life, while people shout and throw things at them. It's just, you know, I want to turn it round the other way. I tell you what, let's put all these people in an arena and then we'll set, I tell you what, loads of tigers and lions on them. 
Wait a minute, they did that, didn't they? In Roman times, it was called the Colosseum, otherwise known as the Theatre of Blood, because that's what it was. It was the place of execution. They always try and make out the Colosseum in Rome was, like, really fun, and they had, you know, battles and all this. No, no, no. It was a place of trying to think up, the Romans trying to think up as many ways to execute somebody as you could. So, in other words, if they actually thought covering somebody in tar and setting them on fire was good fun and that, that lasted, then they would go for it. If it was too messy, they weren't interested. So then they thought, I know, we'll, we'll set gladiator against gladiator. And that was good. But they, they were on a hiding to nothing, because if you lost, you died, of course, you know, because the, the emperor went, couldn't really care about you. And it was mainly criminals that went into the, into the arena. And so when you go to Rome and you look... At the at the Colosseum, or what what's left of it, to the bits that they've sort of built up again, it was it was just amazing. They kept all these people downstairs. They brought over wild animals like there was no tomorrow. They they I think in the course of a week, something like ten thousand animals would be slaughtered in the ring. It was it was it was just they, they actually couldn't find and they put everything in there from elephants to snakes to buffalo to tigers to lions, anything that they, they could think of that would add to the interest of the spectators who would sit there, you know, on their lunch break. It was a wander-in and wander-out place. You know, you bought a seat, you wandered in, you ate, ate your popcorn, your Roman popcorn, and then you watched sort of about 300 people dying. And in the course of a week, they would probably execute about 300. And if you were unlucky enough to be a gladiator, you were unlucky enough to lose, and the emperor put his thumb down, that was the end of your life. And then they just dragged you out. I remember watching a film once where they had a, an execution machine which ran across the middle of the Colosseum. And what it was was, a th- it was like a giant bar, but underneath it were scythes, like for cutting corn that went round and round and round, and the people on the top of it pedalled, and that took it from one side, and what they'd done is they'd buried all the criminals in up to their necks, so only their heads were sticking out above the sand, and as the, uh, as the expression went, they were sort of gathered in by the harvester. Quite, quite gruesome, quite gruesome. A bit, like watching, uh, a bit like watching tennis, actually, at the moment. Mind you, at least we don't have to worry about that, do we, for a... Uh... For, for, for a, a little bit more. For some strange reason, there are lots of stories in the paper today about, um, about Ian Huntley, and his brother has come out telling stories. I know it's ten years on, but to be honest with you, I don't want to know anything about Ian Huntley. I really am not remotely interested. He can die screaming in agony, as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't care less about him. I don't know why the papers... I suppose because they're actually saying, you know, this, this is what his sort of brother is saying about him. He was sadistic. He said... Um, you know, I don't ever want to see him ever again. Well, I'm, I'm assuming that's that's the way it would go anyway for most people. But that was in the paper yesterday, so they've actually put it put it out in the paper again today. Uh, then they've done lots of features uh, about today. Chocolate sponge has been voted Britain's favourite cake. Chocolate sponge, the worst, the most miserable cake under the sun. Apparently, the tea time treat, Big Victoria sponge. To the title, in third was 1980s phenomenon Black Forest Gatto, ahead of carrot cake and coffee cake. Oh, dear. Apparently, it's, it's one of these uh, television things, and they've asked 2,000 people. And uh, so, in other words, at number 10, angel cake. can't remember what angel cake is now. Is angel cake a sponge, I think, with cream in it or something like that? I think that's what angel cake is. Number nine, banana cake. Oh, it's got the icing on top of it. Oh, right. Yeah. Banana cake. We never did banana cake. Never did banana cake. Christmas cake, number eight. Ooh, come on, hands up. You never eat Christmas cake, do you? It sits on the side. My mother used to make a, a Christmas cake every year. She'd ice it. We'd have the same blasted Father Christmas in his sleigh and a Christmas tree sitting on the top of it. <laughs> Nobody had any room for it. Uh, number seven, fruitcake. Like a good fruitcake. Like a good fruitcake. Number six, Battenberg. Oh, I love Battenberg. That's the pink and yellow stuff. That was, that's lovely. Uh, 
Coffee cake. A bit dull, isn't it? Coffee cake was just a variation of, you know, jam sponge. We're making it coffee cake. Carrot cake at number four. Black forest gatto at number three. Two Victoria sponge. Number one chocolate sponge. Ugh, boring. Very, very boring. But they're so cheap now, cakes. There's no cheesecake in there. Well, it, it doesn't feature. It's not... Uh, apparently, they say chocolate cake's a well-deserved winner. There's no better comfort food. What a load of old codswallop, honestly. Margie, talking of codswallop. I don't want to be rude, but I watched... I didn't think that Vernon Kay's programme and the one about Jesus Christ Superstar could, could be eclipsed by a programme that is so bad, it, it almost make Mark Wright and his very camp little friends, as he trolls round America, desperately trying to Im- impress people that he's some sort of celebrity as opposed to some gimp who's pitched up on the television with no talent whatsoever for doing anything. But there was a programme on the television that I witnessed the other day, and I sat there, usual, jaw on floor, thinking, who believes this rubbish? Yvette Fielding's most haunted. Have you ever seen a bigger pile of rubbish? in your? Yvette Fielding wanders around looking like the Black Widow. She's got this huge coat on, which makes her look like an upside-down Christmas tree. It's just rubbish. It's made by her own company. It would have to. Nobody else would touch it with a barge pole. It's just rubbish. I mean, it is, it's so rubbish, it's embarrassing television. What fools believe this kind of stuff on the television? Quite clearly, Yvette Fielding doesn't, because her, her attempts at acting her way couldn't have got her out of a paper bag. She was bad enough on Blue Peter, let alone actually trying to see this poor woman insist that ghosts exist. And here, I can, in this room, I can... And then they, they drag out all the psychics. They're all loonies. All the psychics are mad as brooms. They, they pitch up, oh, my God, there's definitely a vibration. Oh, somebody's saying don't go up the stairs. No, nobody's saying don't go up the stairs, OK? You go up the stairs, there's a film crew with you. You know, so what they do is that they sort of, and then all of a sudden the lights go out. Oh, it's unbelievable. Who did that? Uh, the, the cameraman turned them off over there. That's what he did. It's the biggest pile of rubbish I've ever seen on the television. I felt embarrassed for the poor soul. And she's either doing it with her husband, who looks as unconvincing as a chocolate fire guard. I mean, the whole thing is just, it's just awful. And uh, still in the papers today, and still we're, we're sort of worrying about her. I'm, I'm worrying more about the M4 and the fact that millions of you are going to get really caught up in this today. And you're not just getting in, but getting out of town. That's the worst thing. You need to leave early. Because if you don't know your way around... I mean, I luckily, when, I, when I drive in London, I know my way around because I've lived and worked here for donkey's years. So I know, you know, where I could cut across here. Because the person I was with said, oh, you, you know your way around. Shall I get very stressed? I said, well, I get stressed. In fact, yesterday we, we, it was a stress day, full stop, because of all the people everywhere. And I was worried I couldn't find a place to park. But in fact, as I say, we parked over the road from the Woolsey and it was brilliant. And, um, and so when you, when you come in today, unless you know how to get in via the M3, which is going to, it's solid every day, the M3, because that brings you in through, through Twickenham. It's going to be absolutely solid. The 316 is bad enough without all the extra traffic coming in off the motorway, which is all the people who are trying to come in from West London. In on the M4, and it's all closed. So don't, don't, don't treat it lightly. If you didn't go out over the weekend, you've got no idea what you're in for today. Luckily, we have a very good travel department, and they will hopefully try and get you through this god-awful mess. And they've said it should be ready for Thursday. You'd have thought they'd be working 24 hours a day, wouldn't you? It's the M4. It, it should be, you know, done now. I'm afraid. 84850, steve at uh, I did see the Beckhams at Wimbledon, and, uh, and I, did, I did look at them. And, uh, and he, he had some emotion. She, of course, uh, she didn't have anything at all. Uh, 84850, steve at uk, And uh, another one here. 
This is, uh, somebody else had, had watched, um, Amanda Holden, because she, I think, is also one of the judges on the Jesus programme. And, um, to be honest with you, it only picked up three million. Now, to pick up an audience of three million is dull. And, and I don't know why it's only picked up three, three million. I mean, is it because it's just rubbish? Is it because you're not remotely interested in a programme that is lining Andrew Lloyd Webber's pockets? It's a programme, you know, for Andrew Lloyd Webber, for his benefit. It's not for anybody else's benefit at all. It's for his benefit to find somebody who can sing the role of Jesus. I mean, what an insult to people in the industry. Thousands of singers out there going, do we have to go through a television ordeal? Yes. Why is Jonathan Anson on there? Jonathan was in uh, the group G4, and uh, he's got a very successful solo career. But he's already, at the moment, he's rehearsing for A Tale of Two Cities. So if he's rehearsing for A Tale of Two Cities coming into the West End, what the Dickens is he doing auditioning for this one? Is he going to ditch the other one if they go, yep, you are definitely going to be... Because he isn't right. He doesn't look right. He's, he's very, very good looking. But for Jesus, you've got... I mean, and also, Jonathan's a bit... Not fat. He's not, he's, he's, he's not fat, but he's, he's sort of plumper than Jesus would be. Jesus is supposed to be fairly scrawny. And so, you know, anybody who's sort of pretty blonde hair, even if you stick a wig on his head, it's not going to look right, is it? Because he's supposed to look like he's not eaten, and he's been beaten, and he's going to take his shirt off. And to be honest with you, it, it's just not going to look right. So you're, you're not just looking for the voice, you're looking for the whole, the whole image thing. Can't have Jesus on looking like Billy Bunter, can you? It's going to look ridiculous. It's like, you know, Britain's biggest teen, uh, Georgia Davis. Luckily, she's, she's lost a bit of weight. This is the one who was rescued from her house. Do you remember Georgia Davis was rescued from her house? I'd have left her in there and I'd have said, get yourself down the blooming stairs, fatty. No point in, you know, 70 people or whatever it was pitched up for her. Anyway, she's, uh, she was 63 stone, but uh, actually, because she lied, most people do. But most people are overweight, add on for some reason. You know, when they actually get beyond 50, they go, I'm 60. And you go, no, you're not. I am. I'm si- No, you're not. You're lying. I'm 60 stone. No, you're not 60 stone. It was so stupid. So she thought she was 63 stone, but she wasn't. She was 56. And, uh, and the reason she's that big is because she overeats. She's got nothing else. She doesn't do any exercise. As I say, I mean, she, she sits in bed and people bring her food. That's the stupidest family under the sun. Anyway, they, they, they've now said to her, you need to go back to, um, to fat camp again. You know, which, which makes perfect sense. But there's no point in telling her. She's already been there once. And it didn't have any effect on her whatsoever. But she's spoken about her dream um, of going to Tokyo to sample the food. And then to have a flat as she wants to turn her life around. Well, why don't you do that then? What are you telling us for? I've said countless times before. It's, listen, the only person that made you fat is you. Nobody else made you fat. You're the one who sat there and stuffed your face so much. And now you want to turn your life around. Well, do it. But frankly, you know, I'm not remotely interested. You do it by yourself and, and try and be a big person. Well, sorry, you are a big person. Try and be a grown-up. Try and be an adult as opposed to being... You and your daft mother who was feeding you this rubbish food. Frankly, you need taken into care. Or failing that, they need taken into care and let you fend for yourself. Because if I had my way and, and you went, I want some food, you'd go, well, walk downstairs and get it. You want something to eat? Quarter to five. <laughs> LBC 97.3. Call 0845 6060 This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, Monday morning. It's LBC. It's Steve Allen's uh, early breakfast. Ernest Borgnine has died at the age of 95. 
I think uh, most people over the age of about 30 will know exactly who Ernest Borgnine. You probably weren't even aware he was still alive, but uh, he was the man who beat up Frank Sinatra in From Here to Eternity. He was with uh, Spencer Tracy. I mean, he's just like one of the one of the big Hollywood people, which is fantastic. But uh, sadly, passed away with the family um, at the age of 95. So there you go. There you go. Aggie, I tell you what, poor, poor old Aggie is a bit... A bit sad and lonely and, uh, and needs some help. We'll, we'll try and get some help for you, Aggie. It's obviously not easy at the moment. I understand how you're, you're trying to cope with your addictions, but uh, I'm sure you'll be good. Uh, my repair crew, late for work, stuck in traffic. It's going to be absolutely dreadful. It's going to be dreadful. I don't think you realise how bad it is. The M4 is the main route into London. One of the main... That's why it was bad enough when the Hammersmith flyover was shut and you had to go around that ghastly place that's called Hammersmith. Oh, dear, I tell you, it makes Hounslow look almost interesting, doesn't it? That uh, Andy Murray crying endeared him to many people, says Joe. I think so. I think so. He's a world-class player. I mean, you know, he might come back. Uh, to be honest with you, I think... I don't think he's ever going to win. Because the trouble is, as, as we sort of go, all right, he's, he's cried, he shows he's got a bit of, bit of emotion, and, uh, and, it's, and it's all good, but uh, we just have to admit the fact our tennis isn't up to what other... He, he played well. But it wasn't good enough. There's only two of them. Only one person can win, even though he's actually got loads of coverage. In fact, strangely enough, you'd never believe that he didn't win. Because poor old Federer doesn't make the front of any of the papers. It's a picture of Andy Murray crying. Which gives you a rough idea. That's why we're not very good at sport in this country. Because somebody said the other day, he can probably make in his career now, because he got to win 50 million. And that's all it comes down to. It comes down to the money. It comes down to the fact that, you know, we're hoping that we're going to get lots of gold medals. We're hoping we're going to get lots of gold medals. Frankly, looking at the at the list of uh, of medals that people think we're actually going to get, I'm not holding out much hope. You know, they actually say that Britain's Olympic team will win record numbers of medals, and there's a formula. They've actually said that we could take home 62 medals. They expect uh, Britain to take 25 golds, six more than in Beijing, and will only be beaten by America and China. And to be honest with you, I don't think that's right. They haven't given us a list of, uh, of what we're going to win in. I'm hoping that we're going to win something in the diving. But I've got this horrible feeling that, you know, because Tom Daly doesn't have his dad with him, who pushed him very hard, very, very hard, um, I, I think he's sort of lost his way. He loves doing his interviews now. He loves playing the celebrity. Have you noticed the amount of people pitching up doing television adverts now? There's loads of them. They're all doing them. Even the bloke behind the uh, the choir, he's pitched up doing a shoe advert. Everybody's doing these adverts now because it pays so much money. And so Tom Daly, in theory, he doesn't need to do anything at all. He can spend the rest of his life just doing photo shoots. Perhaps he's got an autobiography out. He's not even 20, he's got an autobiography out. And, um, and that's why. There's no incentive. So people say, oh, Andy Murray can make 50 million. And he's thinking, wow, 50 million, that's good. And the agents will be banging on his door. Can you do this? Can you do that? You know, crying is good. They'll, they'll weave something in about the crying. You know, real men cry. It'll be, it'll be something along those lines. I bet you anything, within about three weeks, there'll be an advert out and he will feature in it. And it'll be something to do with the crying. And it'll pay him a shed load of money. Why should he bother playing tennis? Go out there and lose. Eddie the Eagle Edwards, one of our greatest losers. Our great, it couldn't do anything. He couldn't, they actually put him in for skiing. And of course, he, he couldn't even stay upright. A loser. Frank Bruno. The only reason Frank Bruno won any of his boxing matches is because they dug people up from cemeteries. That was the only reason. The, the only time Frank Bruno was ever evenly matched, he was knocked out in six seconds. Yeah, he did it. Because he became a joke character. You know, stick him in pantomime, stick him on comic relief. All our sportsmen and women, they just go, you can make a lot of money now. And so that's what they do. Tim Henman lost. 
started advertising washing powder, wasn't it? God, blimey, what an embarrassment. What an embarrassment. Dear me, I mean, absolutely terrible. Really terrible. So, I mean, whether or not we're going to get medals, I hope so. Love to see us win medals. But frankly, we don't have the right attitude. We need to be a little bit more assertive. We need to be more committed. You go to, say, Russia, if you really must, and uh, just be careful, not the safest place I've ever been to, and, and you, you go to Russia, and they're so dedicated over there. Over here, we're not as dedicated. We go, oh, should we do training today? No, nah, do it tomorrow. A bit wet, isn't it? Let's go out for a drink tonight. Okay, let's get really lashed. And then you turn on the television, and, and there's people there who want to be famous, but they haven't done anything. For that, read the whole cast of The Only Way is Essex, and anybody who's on any reality show or Big Brother. They quite clearly don't have jobs in Big Brother, because they're in there for weeks. So are these, are these the great unemployed? Because they come out and then they give an interview. I mean, do they think that people are going to clamour with them and try and, get, try and get some sort of work? Because it's not work for Mark Wright at all. Even though he's got the fabulous Jonathan Shallot, the dog's doing better. Pudsey is doing so much better. Book out at Christmas. Nobody's interested in Mark Wright because he looks a bit scary. He looks a little bit sort of worrying. So when you go through the papers, you see all these people. It's, as I said before, the, the famous person in Big Brother is the girl who received the sex texts. Sex texts from Vernon Kay. And that apparently makes you a celebrity. Prostitutes become celebrities because they've slept with footballers. It's amazing. It's absolutely fantastic. You know, I've often said, if you want to be famous now, become a prostitute. You know, there's no point in working hard because you're not going to get any reward for that whatsoever. The ruder you are about people, the more successful you'll become. The more footballers you can manage to sleep with, although God knows they've got nothing else going for them. You know, at least you can make some money out of them. That's it, isn't it? It's a dead-end job. They had a... I turned on the television this morning. I was flipping through the channels trying to find out if somebody interesting had done something that they hadn't. And, um, and there's a bloke on there who comes from Blackpool and he wants to be famous. He doesn't have any talent. He thinks that if you go to sunbed places and, uh, and you have your hair done and your eyebrows done, that you can be famous. Well, that, that was the extent of it. And the interviewer, who was as desperate as he was, was saying, so, so uh, what sort of fame do you want? He said, I just want people to know who I am. I want to walk down the high street and people know who I am. I thought, well, why don't you just break into a, into a shop or something, break into a bank, put you on the front page of the papers straight away. And that way you can become famous. I watched a ghastly film over the weekend. It was called Scream. Dear God in heaven, you don't want to bump into these people. They're not nice. They're not nice. They're horrible. They're absolutely awful. It was the most dreadful film I'd ever seen. But she achieved her objective. She wanted to be famous, the girl who did the murders. Oh, God, have I ruined it for you? Oh, good. So, anyway, it's, it's her, it's a girl. OK, it's a double bluff. And she wants to be famous. That's the whole idea in it. She wants to be on the front page of all the papers. What amazed me in it was every time there was another sort of attack. I mean, at one point, she attacks this poor girl in a hospital. There's no nurses, there's no doctors, there's nobody in this hospital. She appears to be the only patient. There's no panic button, and the lights are always very dim. Have you noticed? Nobody's got above a 25-watt light bulb. And she gets attacked in the hospital bed. And then you go down the, the road and there's a fancy dress hire shop with the scream mask. You know, it's like I watched Daniel Radcliffe's The Woman in Black. So he arrives on a cart and here is the house. And it's, and it's always at night. Nobody ever arrives in sunshine, do they? They always arrive and it's dark and the mist is swirling around. And he goes into the house and I'm going and he flicks the light switch and the lights don't come on. That's about as far as I would be going. I would be back on that horse and cart and back to the mainland. But he couldn't because the tide came in. So he had to go into the house. And where does he go? He goes into the cellar. Now, to be honest with you, with a house that creaks and doors that slam shut, there ain't no way I'm going near the cellar. So when I watch Scream, 
I was thinking... I mean, at one point, this woman leans up against the door. Big mistake. Don't ever lean up against the door, because the person on the other side has got a sword, which they push right through. So it went on. It was a catalogue. Catalogue. And I thought, why am I watching this? Kids love it. My godchildren loved it. They absolutely loved it. Although, the the biggest sort of... (gasps) came when some bloke banged his head on a hanging basket. Because he didn't know what it was. He just went, bang, hanging basket. And my godson, who's 14, went... (gasps) I went, what do you watch? Why do people watch things to be scared? Very strange. All very, very strange, I'm afraid. Anyway, lovely picture of, uh, I think it's Mario Balotelli. He's a rather silly little boy. Here he is, swigging champagne from a bottle with his shirt off, presumably in a club surrounded by, well, let's just say, the sort of girls who go to those sort of clubs, Okay, They're looking for somebody like him, I'm afraid. It was in uh, the French Riviera, and he got a shoulder massage. He was in a VIP room in Saint-Tropez. God, you feel a bit sorry for them, really, don't you, these footballers? They don't have much to do. You kick a ball around and sometimes it goes in, that man misses it and it goes in the net. And other times, you know, you kick it and it doesn't go anywhere at all. But it doesn't matter because you're earning £150,000 a week. Who cares? Who cares? Uh, eight for eight, five eight. Somebody, if Frank Vera is such a loser, how can he beat Joe Bugner? Don't be so stupid. Did you see Joe Bugner? Vastly overweight, out of condition, hadn't fought for donkey's years. Most of Frank Frank Bruno's contestants were either pitched up from old people's homes or dug up from cemeteries. You'd never heard of half of them. As I say, the only time he fought somebody who was equal weight, they punched him out straight away in six seconds in Vegas. Remember that one? I remember it vividly. Lots of people trotted over from this country. Ooh, Frank Bruno, Frank Bruno. Bang, out. <laughs> Okay, back to the casino. Let's uh, let's get it all over and uh, all over and done with. Eight for eight five zero. Steve at LBC Especially if you think we're going to do well with the uh, with the Olympics, and if you've got a brilliant idea of getting into town. If you're an M4 traveller, if you're an M4 traveller, you reckon you can? You found the uh, the way round it today? Because I don't know how people are going to get round this. Because every road that you're coming in off that's the whole idea of a motorway. It's lots of lanes to get you in. Admittedly, the amount of traffic has increased over the years and the motorways have not increased in size, so they're still the same size motorways. But when you come off, say, the M4, go to the 316, you might as well give up. It only takes one car to break down. In Knightsbridge the other day, there's, um, there's a, a chauffeur car waiting outside a restaurant. Everybody had to go round him. Not a policeman in sight. Not a policeman in sight. You know, it's at times like that, you wish that we could all be policemen for the day and go... Move. Move your car now. Move it now. You're holding up London's traffic. It's the only way to get through. I'm listening in uh, Tasmania. Over here, if a supermarket gets the price wrong on the bill, they give you the item free and your money back. That would make uh, M&S get the price right. This is, the f- this is week three. Week three. They've still not managed to sort out the problem with the papers. It comes to head office. I don't think the manager told them at all. I've, I've, in my heart of hearts, I do not believe it at all. I watched Pierpoint yesterday, a very moving movie. I've ordered the autobiography from Amazon. I've just read one about the, uh, about the craze, which is a man who I think used to work for the craze, and it's called, I think the book is called The Man Who Brought Down the Craze, and he turned Queen's Evidence against them and then disappeared abroad for about 40 years. He, uh, he was, um, he was, uh, quite an interesting character. The book is, is very, very interesting. I mentioned it to the people I was having lunch with yesterday. And, uh, and the lady in question said, yes, I've, I've heard about that book. I said, it's a very interesting read. You'd think he wouldn't want to come back. The man who sold the craze down the river and he's back now and he's written a book about it. 
All very, very worrying. Very, very worrying. Uh, Paul says, I agree with you about Andy Murray. For years now, the press have told us he's quite a nice bloke, but we saw nothing of it until yesterday. Even if uh, we had have done, maybe more people may have supported him in the first place. Even your colleague, Mr Dale, was crying as he said. Was he crying? Was Ian Dale crying? He's such a wuss, honestly. He really is. I mean, I didn't cry, but I thought it was, I thought it was good that he did cry. And... Um, uh, by the way, we think we know who you had lunch with and you had cuppers with. Yes, absolutely. Oh, right. <laughs> right. And the reports are coming in that Ernest Borgnine has died. Yes, he has. At the age of 95, Poseidon Adventure, Dirty Dozen and Ice Station Zebra. News is next. LBC 97.3. Call 0845 606973. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC 973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, Monday morning. I love the idea that it seems odd to hear, doesn't it, on the news with Sam Pittis, that that they've just lifted the hosepipe ban. You know, certain parts of the country flooding, you know, cars floating off down the road, and they've just lifted the hosepipe ban. And you think to yourself, no, you're not serious. I mean, we've got that much water, that much water. I mean, it couldn't actually be worse, could it? Every time you go out there, I mean, you, you think to yourself, this is just absolutely ridiculous. And they go, we've just lifted the hosepipe ban. They were right, though, on the news, that it's, it's right that you should worry that coming in on the M4, you won't be able to. Okay, because it's closed. You've got to find an alternative route. And because there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of you coming in, what we'll try and do when we talk to uh, either Joanne or uh, or Andy in about uh, 10 minutes' time is try and tell you which would be... Is it Jay today, Jay Louise? We'll, we'll, we'll try and tell you which route would be best to come in. So if you're coming in on the M4, where you're supposed to come off, but you, you're going to need to set off early. Because you remember how bad it was during the closure of the Hammersmith flyover. That was nothing compared to what this is going to be like. Because I'm thinking if you're coming off, you're going to have to, if if Junction 1 to 3 is closed, you're going to have to come off at Junction 4. And I can't remember where Junction 4 is. You're you're going miles back, though. So in other words, if you're near the elevated section, you're going to have to go out of town to come back into town again. And all the roads are going to be chock-a-block. It only, it's only going to take one set of traffic lights to unphase or an accident, and you sit there for most of the morning. My advice is, for what it's worth, and I've, I've done this before, is set off early. I'd, I would allow yourself, just to try it for today, an extra hour. If you can actually get up, and you can get out, set off early, just to find the way around it, so that you're prepared for maybe tomorrow. Because they've said Thursday, but you know what they're like... Sometimes, you know, they'll go, well, we need a bit more time just to make sure we found another crack or so. You don't know. So they've said Thursday. This is only Monday. You've got four days of this misery coming up. So my advice is set off early. And once you've found your way round it and you can get in, better to be early than to sit there fuming in traffic because, you know, cars will boil over. You know, if your car isn't topped up and it boils over, you're sitting in traffic jams, then two lanes come down to one. You know, before you are, you've got gridlock in West London. Total gridlock. Failing that, take the train. Let the train take the strain for you for four days. Paul says it's ten years on with Ian Huntley, as you say, in the papers for one reason only. His brother has opened his heart and now some publisher has opened their wallet. Oh, it's a book, is it? Oh, it's a book? Oh, right. Uh, Giving his family's point of view. I would have thought, says Paul, the families of the two girls would have been allowed to get an injunction to prevent them publishing. To be honest with you, do you really think that the families of those girls want this raked over again? Do you really think they want to know what was going on in the Huntley family? 
I shouldn't imagine they even want to hear the word. I should imagine it's very painful for them. Absolutely very painful. Because here, here's somebody making money out of... I mean, I, I can't even get my head around it, I'm afraid. I want to think about it. If, if, if it is a book, as you say, then I think it's terribly sad. Because the, the families, you know, this will live with them for, for ages and ages and ages. And so somebody has written a book, or is writing a book, via a publisher, and... Um, and then somebody will actually make money out of it. I don't. I don't really think that's that's right at all. But then you know, we've, we've seen this this kind of stuff before. I'm afraid. I think I think it's terribly, terribly sad. It's also sad that a teenager was stabbed to death, and his friend left fighting for his life after a night out in a picturesque village. It's always these picturesque villages, isn't it? And this is uh, Craig Hepburn collapsed with multiple wounds after the attack. His 18-year-old pal was in intensive care. Two people. Uh, later arrested on suspicion of Craig's murder, remain in custody. They were set upon in Marsden, near Huddersfield. Police think that somebody in the close-knit community will be able to say what happened. The victims from Paisley, near Glasgow, didn't know their attackers. God, it's even worse, isn't it? You, this is... This strange... Vi- this village, you'll know it because they've used bits of it for last of the summer wine and where the heart is, and it's been cordoned off. So this young man has lost his life, and his friend's on a life support machine, and they were attacked, but they didn't know the, the people who actually uh, attacked them. The two people who attacked them, 36 and 21, are now held in premises away from the scene. It's a dreadful situation, absolutely dreadful. I'm trying to find more out on the, uh, on the Huntley book. I'm trying to go through it and uh, find out exactly if they've got a, a title for this. But it was in all the papers yesterday, so I'm assuming you're right. Oh, there we are, The Blood We Share by Wayne Huntley and Paul Woods, is published at £12.99. I mean, to be honest with you, I think it's awful that somebody should make money out of this. Your, your, your brother's a murderer, and ten years on, I mean, do you think that the pain is any less for these two little girls? No. No. Not at all. But all he's talking about is his brother as a child, and, you know, whether or not you can, you can sort of sense a pattern emerging of somebody who would... It was like that ghastly Gita Sereni woman who sort of wrote the book about Mary Bell, the child killer. And, uh, and she paid Mary Bell a fee for doing the book. Mary Bell killed, I think it was two children, but she made money out of it. I, I call it blood money. Strangely enough, this book is called The Blood We Share. It could be called The Blood Money That We Share, because by having a murderer in the family, he's been able to write a book, whereas the, uh, the two families involved, and they're two little girls, will just never get over the tragedy. Never, ever get over the tragedy. I suppose even, even Huntley's brother, you can sit down and analyse, can't you? For ages, you know, should I have spotted this for my brother? Should I have spotted that? The answer is quite clearly he didn't. End of book. End of book. So uh, ten years on, and they probably feel that ten years is enough time now, and they can bring out a book. Not totally convinced by it, I'm afraid. Uh, weather for today, uh, I can tell you that uh, it's going to be dry start with some sunny spells, which makes a bit of a change as you sit in that never-ending traffic jam. Becoming overcast with a few showers by mid-afternoon. Tonight, overcast, mainly dry, the odd heavy shower in places. High today, 20 degrees centigrade, which is not bad. And uh, the overnight lows, 14 degrees. Mainly overcast Tuesday and Wednesday with heavy showers. Thursday, mainly dry with brighter spells before further rain arrives later. And as somebody said to me the other day when I was getting a cup of coffee on, uh, on uh, Sunday morning, they went, is it always like this in this country? I went, yeah, this is summer. This is something, it rains. She said, but this much rain? I said, yeah, this much rain, I'm afraid. I mean, it is a little bit unusual. But then today, and I can't stress enough how bad the traffic is going to be in West London. I cannot tell you. It's bad enough trying to come, on, trying to come in on the M4 normal days without, you know, the thing being closed. The moment it closes is the moment you've got serious problems. My advice, again, and I'll 
do it to the point of boredom, I'm afraid, uh, today, um, is to leave really early. To leave a, an hour earlier, at least. At least. Uh, Steve, Ernest Borgnine, great actor, sad, but made it to a good old age. Is people say that they go, made it to a good old age, 95. You think, yeah, but what quality of life is there at 95? I don't know. It says, uh, starred in some truly great films with other iconic actors. And, um, love listening to LBC. So many great shows in the morning from Duncan, yours, and, uh, Nick's and James's too. There you go, you see. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk or 0845 6060973. Uh, I watched the Jesus Christ Superstar rubbish last night, says Kay. And uh, it was terrible. They had a so-called acting expert on the programme, running them all through their paces. Uh, didn't know what she was talking about and totally confused everybody. And why does Mel C have to talk so slowly? I won't be watching that again. More interesting to wa- watch paint dry. Well, it didn't do well in the figures either. <coughs> Excuse me, I think it only attracted three million. And three million is is really pitifully awful. For a programme that was overhyped so much, you know, for a programme that was literally, it had had so much free publicity and still didn't do, only three million of you. I think because, even though I love the show, Jesus Christ Superstar, it's a great show, great show. The last time it was in town, it didn't seem that long ago to me, and it had a, a great guy playing it, and so now they've got a load of people. You only have to look at them to think, do you look like Jesus? And the answer is, if they don't look like Jesus, then there's no point. You can't put some fat little bloke on there. Jonathan Ansell went on. He's not a fat little bloke, but he's certainly carrying a little bit of weight. And as I said before, Jesus is going to spend most of his time walking around in a loincloth. You know, there's a lot of that. And it's a big sing. It's a big sing. Big, big sing. Gethsemane, big song. Big, big song. Michael Crawford did it and did it spectacularly at the Royal Albert Hall. But whether or not they'll, they'll recreate it. I think it was Steve Buscemi who did it the last time I saw it. And he was fantastic. I mean, he was amazing. You know, just stupendous. Frankly, they need to go and get him back again. There's no point in having a television programme to put somebody back on it again. Uh, The entire film, Went the Day Well, is on YouTube. They showed it on the television again the other day. Such a good film. Such a good film. Well worth it. Um, Strangely enough, one of the... I mentioned last week uh, about... A soap, and I mentioned about Coronation Street, and I said it was so awful at the moment, it was laughable. The scripting is so bad, the acting is nothing short of pantomime. And one of the critics picked up on exactly the same thing and said, and then they actually nicked an idea from, um, from the Carry On films. They had Fair Ladies as a cab company, and it was set up as a rival cab company, and it was women drivers. But, and I thought, but they did this when they did Carry On Cabbie which was, you know, a great film with Esme Cannon and Hattie Jakes because Sid James owned a cab company. And they've done the same on Coronation Street. They can't even come up with an original idea. And I think it was done on EastEnders. But, but the acting is so awful. The scripting is just truly dreadful. And somebody has copied exactly what I said. And they've said in their column yesterday, they said, you know, absolutely diabolical at the moment. The acting, the scripting, the storylines, everything. Absolutely terrible, I'm afraid. Um, yes, I mean, Malcolm said Lloyd hasn't been back for more than five minutes in Corrie. And he's already set up a taxi firm with a complete set of cars and a team of all-female drivers. I know. It's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's laughable. When I started watching it, I thought, oh, dear. Definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, 84850, uk, And uh, we're trying to find out if you think we're going to do well at the Olympics. They say that we will win a record number of medals. 
They say that we're going to take home 62 medals. These are researchers who have forecast the medal hall at three previous games, and they've now worked out, based on previous games, we're going to walk away with 62. That tally beats the post-war record of 47 that we won at Beijing in 2008, and will place Britain fourth in the medal table. We'll be behind America and China. They're hoping that we take 25 goals. It won't be anything spectacular. It'll be something silly like sort of egg and spoon race. It won't, be, it won't be anything serious at all. I'm hoping, as I said before, that we're going to get it, I think, in the hurdles. I think not in high jump. Um, and I'd, Will we get it in the diving? I'd like to think we would, but I have a sneaking feeling we're going to be pipped to the post on that one. I have a sneaking feeling that Mr Daly, much as though we're big fans of Tom Daly, and, uh, and we hope, we hope, we hope that, uh, that he does well. I've just a feeling he spent too much time in the media and not enough time in the pool getting ready for this kind of thing. You just can't walk in and do it. You know, there'll be people training themselves to pieces. And uh, that's what I'd like to see him do. Not do the endless rounds of book signings and photo shoots. Because uh, if your dad was here, he'd be wrapping your knuckles and have you out straight away. But I think you've got a bit, uh, a bit lax in that department. So let's keep our fingers crossed that he sees the light before the end of the day. Talking of the end of the day, we'll have the, uh, the travel for you in a moment. You need to keep your ears Firmly pinned back for that. Time now, quarter past five. LBC 97.3, London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. 20 past five, so already the traffic in West London is building up around Brentford. It'll, it'll be chock-a-block coming in all the way going through Brentford and going up to Kew Bridge. Or if you take the other way, you come in on the Great West Road and that'll be absolutely solid. And then you can join the elevated section, I think, a bit further down. Um, and or failing that, you'd go all the way down to the Hogarth roundabout. But it's going to be solid because the traffic is now going to be coming in from all directions. So if you're coming in from West London, as Jay Louise said a moment ago, you need to leave early. Don't don't underestimate this one. I promise you, you'll be sitting there all day. You've only got to have one car boiling over because somebody won't have remembered to put water in it, and that'll just ruin your day. It'll, and I promise you, it will ruin your day. Lots of people talking about the tennis yesterday because Andy Murray didn't win because he wasn't good enough. There's no other way to explain it. Federer was better. It doesn't matter whether you think Andy Murray was sort of nearly there. Nearly there is not good enough at Wimbledon. You either win or you lose. And he lost and he cried. And and she pouted and posed. And that's Victoria Beckham, who the papers have just taken to task because they said today she wasn't remotely interested in the tennis. Not remotely interested. She never had any flicker of emotion. She appears to be treating the whole thing as one big advertising opportunity. They say here she was showcasing her autumn winter collection. She wore one of her own dresses, though in a subtle nod to the championship. It was in Wimbledon dark green. And she toted a ridiculously expensive Victoria Beckham hexagonal chain crocodile shoulder bag. Priced at, come on, guess, £8,950 for a shoulder bag. How out of touch can you possibly be? And then she had her own ridiculously oversized sunglasses on, priced at £275. She couldn't even bring herself, they say, to exchange words with Sir Steve Redgrave's wife, Anne, who was next door. She doesn't say anything to anybody. She really doesn't. She, it, the whole thing is just an exercise. She never smiled. She never got excited. She wasn't interested. She's only interested in the photo that appears in the paper. Beckham sits there, probably thinking, you miserable old cow. <laughs> He's got to, hasn't he? You know, you're sitting with somebody, you're going, listen, I know what she's like. She just Because at the moment she comes out, and she always wears dark glasses. Because if she doesn't wear them, she, 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 was, she was posing for the whole thing. She's got a finger under the chin. But no, she doesn't understand tennis. There's no point in asking her. 
She wouldn't understand that at all. But Twitter was ablaze with criticism. People saying, you know, hate how celebrities waltz into Wimbledon. Bet Posh Spice didn't have to camp to gain admission. No, they don't. They, they, there must be some sort of system at Wimbledon. I don't know how it works, but if you're a celebrity, then quite clearly that you, you are fast-tracked in. I don't, I don't, you know, the, the Middleton family got in and they're all sitting in sort of posh boxes. And I think that there was also, I think, um, who else was there? Let me just give you roughly, because none of these, the, the, these people queued. So I don't know how the system works. Um, in, in the royal box, you had uh, Lord Freddie Windsor, uh, Prince Michael of Kent and, uh, and his wife. Plus you had uh, Alex Salmon who's managed to bag one of the plum seats. I don't know how these people get them. Uh, elsewhere, Rupert Murdoch was there with his wife, Wendy. Alex Ferguson, the Beckhams, Jude Law, Doctor Who star Matt Smith and Ronnie Wood and girlfriend Sally Humphreys. And, um, and then Cliff Richard. Although not in the royal box this year, he ensured he didn't go unnoticed thanks to his particularly atrocious Union flag jacket. Oh, dear, I must say. The trouble is with poor Cliff. He, he can't... He can't go anywhere without wearing the most atrocious clothes. You know, for a man of 70-plus, he does wear some very camp outfits. You know, a Union Jack jacket. Somebody obviously said, you're going to look really good in this. And so he puts it on and people just go, what is he wearing? They go, it's Cliff Richard, though. I mean, you're not going to not notice him, are you? But uh, I like Sue Barker there, doing her, her interview with Andy Murray. They're, rather, they're very disciplined, the ball boy and girls, aren't they? Nobody's allowed... I've noticed that one of them was obviously caught looking at himself on the giant screen because he was right behind Andy Murray and he looked up and caught sight of himself and obviously someone looked down and then he immediately t- turned away and st- stared at the floor. But uh, anyway, Andy Murray didn't win. He lost and he cried. And, and that's what people liked. People liked the crying. I know it sounds very strange and I've heard people overnight on LBC talking about, you know, how wussy it is. No, it's the, it's the overwhelming you know, occasion. It's the sense of occasion. It's all the people there. People really want you to win. People were willing him on. He just wasn't good enough. Just wasn't good enough, I'm afraid. Uh, 84850. Tony says, if you want an authentic-looking Jesus, you definitely need somebody who is, uh, who is brown-skinned, a Middle Eastern actor. I know, because Jesus would have been almost black, I think, wouldn't he have been coming from the Middle East? Certainly would have been very, very olive. But then that's, that's sort of... It's called journalistic licence, isn't it? Musical licence. In fact, at one point, when they were talking about the Jesus Christ programme, the Jesus Christ superstar, uh, they were talking about... I think Andrew Lloyd Webber said at one... I'm sure he must have been joking. Oh, it could even go to a woman. I thought, how could it go to a woman? You're playing a man's part. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Shane said, went the day well. It's not on YouTube anymore due to copyright dispute. I think so, too. I don't know how somebody could make something and then put it up on YouTube. You know, people, people made that film. Absolutely ridiculous, I'm afraid. 84850, uk, And uh, the brother of the Soham killer, Ian Huntley, has been condemned by his ex-wife for the sickening decision to cash in on the murders by writing a book. Wayne Huntley, as we reported earlier this morning on 97.3, will release the chillingly titled The Blood We Share to coincide with the 10th anniversary of the deaths of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, his former wife, Claire Evans, who bizarrely was also once married to Ian Huntley, has accused him of peddling outright lies. Miss Evans says we're approaching the ten-year anniversary of the horrific murder of two little girls by a monster, and yet here we are again with a Huntley, no doubt making a fistful of cash on the back of such a heinous crime. In my opinion, anyone with a shred of common decency would think that those poor parents have had enough. Mr Huntley, 37, who works for the Ministry of Defence, claims to have disowned his elder brother, saying, I don't want him around, I wish he was dead. The book reveals the killer is living a cushy life, feasting on pizza and steak in the prison he loves watching Man United. 
Um, it's just uh, awful. It's just the, the Sun has serialised the book, so presumably the Sun have paid money for this. The Sun must have paid. You know, I don't know how much money would go for the serialisation. Nick Ferrari would probably be much much better uh, positioned to tell you exactly how much money could be changing hands for this. Just have a quick look, actually, uh, Amber Elliott. Political editor at Total Politics will be looking at the papers this morning. And, of course, the big story, the M4. I can't stress just how bad it's going to be. Huge problems between London and Heathrow. Because it's not just people coming into town, but all the people who've got flights this morning. If you're going out to Heathrow, have you worked out how you're going to get out there? I bet you haven't. Because what you're going to have to do, really, is if you're coming in, you know, over the Hammersmith flyover, you're going to have to come off at Chiswick Roundabout and go out that way, you're going to be hitting the most monumental amount of traffic. So if you've got a flight to catch this morning, you need to set off plenty of time, plenty of time. You know, at least allow an extra hour, at least, because the whole of West London is going to be chock-a-block. Because all the people trying to get... There'll be thousands of you listening this morning who need to go to the airport to catch a flight, and you're thinking, oh, well, don't worry, the flight's at, you know, 8 o'clock, we'll leave here at 6. There's a chance you won't make it. Because the whole of West London will come to a grinding standstill as everybody heads up that same little bit of road to try and get to Heathrow Airport. You'll be tottering up the 316. You know, you're going to have to go out of town to come back in again. And if you're trying to get into town, you're going to have to go all the way around the outside. It's going to be an absolute nightmare. So uh, stay tuned to LBC 97.3 for, for all the latest details. Catherine is going to be uh, looking at the M4 chaos. She's actually going out there in a, in a black cab. That's going to be interesting. Very interesting. And... Um, they're, they're going to be talking as well. Uh, somebody who's a Heathrow resident, he's a hospital patient. He's got an appointment on Thursday. He's not sure he's even get there, which is ridiculous. I mean, you know, all the people who live around Ashford, Staines, all of these places, you're going to be just grinding to a halt. And as uh, Jay Louise told you ten minutes ago on the travel, already West London is slowing down. Brentford is slowing down. You've got one lane either direction going through Brentford High Street and you're taking most of the traffic off the M4 through there. I can tell you now, it's going to be absolutely terrible. And after the flooding and the Silverstones shambles, how will the Olympics cope? I don't know. What have you heard earlier on from Sam Pittis? We've only just lifted the uh, the hosepipe ban in some areas. Can't believe it, can you? We've had enough water to drown ourselves for ages and ages. But the Olympic site looked fine last time I, I saw it. They managed to sort of clear most of that. Uh, plus the, uh, the crying. This is Andy Murray's tearful speech. Proud or embarrassed? I think proud. You know, what's the matter with crying? I'm amazed at how many people have actually come. They're going to have somebody on, on breakfast this morning. And um, it's uh, Frank uh, Fioredi, who's a professor, professor of sociology at the University of Kent and the author of Therapy Culture. And he'll say it's unnecessary to cry. But the trouble is you can't help it. You know, he was so caught up with the emotion of the moment and all the people are there. And the moment he started crying, they started clapping. And uh, I thought it was very emotional. I didn't see it as being, you know, less of a man for crying. Good God in heaven. If you think people are less of a man for crying, you want to go along and watch some films. You know, you can imagine the, the, the pent-up tension of trying to win Wimbledon, knowing that the person that you're, you're playing has slightly got the edge and you're so desperate and, then you do, and it's just wrong and this doesn't work. And so he cried. People have rounded it. You'd be surprised at some of the things that people have, uh, have written about him in the newspapers this morning. Oh, it's dreadful. He shouldn't be crying, shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't be doing that. Nick Ferrari will talk about it between 7 and uh, 10 this morning on LBC 97.3. Time now, if you're uh, getting up, and I hope you are if you're trying to get in, because there's big problems in West London, is 5.30. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. 
Monday morning, LBC 97.3. Steve Allen's early breakfast. So far, no rain. But the bad news is there's loads of traffic. Sorry to keep going on. It's very, if, if you're listening out of London, you're thinking, my goodness, you've no idea the chaos that we're going to have later on today. You know, all the, all the news organisations will have helicopters up and, you know, the traffic will tail back. Uh, coming in austerly, if you're coming in off the M4 that way, you're going to come in and it's only two lanes and then you come down to the first roundabout, then you turn left and you head down that way, bypassing Hounslow. And uh, you'll be coming in down on the the Great West Road. And it's bad enough at the best of times. It is bad enough. And yesterday, I thought it was bad enough coming into London on a Sunday when, you know, we have one of these walks or uh, things. There was a march going on as well for people in Greece. Why on earth are protesting Greece in London? I've got no idea, but it was a fairly big march. And then there were all these runners in fancy dress. They'd taken all the parking out. And London became like a nightmare. There's people wandering in the roads Everything. Some people just just unaware that cars use roads, people use pavements. But t- today you're going to be finding a lot of very short-tempered people out there because they'll be the people who've forgotten that the M4 is closed and they'll be getting there, coming in or trying to get out of town and trying to think if you've booked a cab to get you to the airport, make sure you leave in plenty of time. And also bearing in mind that the trains are going to be fuller as a lot of people leave the cars at home and say, I'm not even going to risk it. So the trains are going to be chock-a-block. So, you know, if you don't manage to get on the train bad enough normally when I'm coming when I'm going back home later on normally you know the people queuing on Twickenham station I've never seen like it actually sometimes you think you're never all going to get on these trains are you and I think today it's going to be more people as more people park out of town and get the trains into town so just be aware of it just be aware this could run Thursday and later could run later they don't know at the moment they're saying it'll open Thursday so you've got to get through the week if you've, not, if you've not done a test run, I like to do a test run, strangely. If I'm going somewhere I've not been before, or I'm trying to find a route round, I, I do a test drive. Yesterday, I set off in plenty of time and hit loads of traffic. And, I you know, sometimes you hit traffic, you can't work out why, why there is traffic there. Because when you actually get to the hotspot, all of a sudden there's nobody. And you think, this is stupid. And I came through London thinking, I'll work out where I'm going to park in Pall Mall for my lunch at the Woolsey. And when I got there, all the parking bays had been taken out. <laughs> Didn't help me at all, I'm afraid. I felt such a, such a fool, I'm afraid. Um, uh, 84850, steve at uk. Stephen Harlington says, I feel sorry for the people trying to work or run a business along the, uh, the A4, the M4. 84850, steve <laughs> Bruno was a British champion. Yes, because they didn't, he didn't fight anybody who was up to his sort of level. It was, it was a lot of people. I mean, one of his fighters, I think, was in an old people's home that they brought out, I'm afraid. And uh, I'm afraid Bruno was knocked out in Las Vegas in, a, what was it, six seconds, 12 seconds? He was never a great boxer. He was OK. He was just a big, lumbering bloke who became a joke, I'm afraid. A joke. Uh, if they're considering the person with the perfect complexion to play Jesus, David Dickinson, if only he could sing, but sadly he can't. Re-Andy Murray, I think he's well within his right to cry. He played brilliantly, unfortunately. You're quite right. He wasn't good enough. Yeah, that's exactly what it comes down to. There's, there's only, you're either good enough to win or you're not good enough to win. And unfortunately, he was beaten by Federer, who was better. That's what, you know, and they've said, don't worry, he can do it again next time. But they kept saying that for Tim Henman, didn't they? How many times we lost, you know, people on Tim Henman Hill, oh, oh, he's lost again. Oh, he's lost again. You know, and so then Tim Henman couldn't care less. He's made a very, very good living out of it. Now he makes a very good living, you know, doing commentary. But that was a little bit boring, it has to be said. Uh, another one here. This has come in from a um, um, uh, nice one here, uh, which says, uh, um, 
My dad's 90 in September. I'm meeting him at nine for a game of indoor bowls until 12. Then an all-day breakfast washed down with a Guinness. Quality of life? I think so. <laughs> 84850 uk, And uh, another one here. And this is from um, somebody else saying, I feel sorry for all the people trying to get in to run their, their businesses. Well, it's, it is going to be tremendously difficult because of the increased amount of traffic. And all of a sudden, the traffic that comes in... I mean, it's normally bad enough on the M4 getting onto the elevator section over, over Chiswick. It's normally bad enough there. So you can imagine if it's all coming off three, uh, three junctions back, then uh, it's, it's not going to be great. Oh, is Jay Louise free at the moment? Can we have a quick chat with her? Is she, is she free for sort of a couple of minutes just to, just to give me a, a little rundown on something? Is she there now? I'm here. Yes, Morning, I'm here. Good so, morning. <laughs> I, I'm, I just want to get it clear in my head. So, ju- so it, it's closed from junction four is it three no what what it was over the weekend it was shut since friday night it's been closed since junction one so chiswick up to junction three at heston in both directions what they've done at about half past three this morning they've reopened the section between one and two so between one and two you can actually get on so if you're heading into town you can join the m4 at brentford and then head down and use the a the a4 through chiswick that way right and heading out of town so so wait a minute so if if, if you're coming through brentford you can actually get on the elevated up at chiswick roundabout yeah so in other words if you're going on the diversion if you're being sent off at junction three you're coming down the 312 and through the a4 through Osterley you can get back on at junction two to head down that way but you're still being advised actually to avoid it anyway because the whole area is going to be a nightmare that a4 already looking very very slow on cameras mm. at the moment so two to three closed in both directions even though it's open from two to one there are lane restrictions there as well leading up to the closure points right so in other words I mean it's normally bad there anyway isn't it but for the next four days it's just going to be a nightmare it is. I mean, over the weekend, people were fo- phoning in and saying, you know, they're being delayed by an hour and a half, and that's at the weekend, so you can imagine what it's going to be like this morning. Monday morning rush hour is not going to be pretty. Absolutely. Jay, thank you for that. No problem. See you later. Jay Louise in our uh, travel centre. I can't emphasise enough how, how bad it is going to be for you. If, if at the weekend people were saying you need to add an extra hour and a half onto your journey, and that's the weekend where normally it's a bit quieter, it's a lot easier to whiz around. Today is, is going to be bad. I don't envy anybody driving in or sitting in cabs or anything like that. Uh, Olympics only days away, Steve, says Jay Patel. The flyover or crawlovers in and around London should have been checked years ago. Yes, I mean... <laughs> What can I tell you? I'm assuming that this was a last-minute check before the Olympics for all the new things coming. I still haven't quite worked out, perhaps I've, perhaps I've missed a bit on LBC 97.3, what they're doing in the Mall, because the whole of the Mall is closed. You can go round uh, by the uh, Victoria Memorial, and then they send you off up Birdcage Walk. But the whole of the Mall and the whole of Green Park appears to be taken over by something, and I'm assuming it's something to do with the Olympics. I can't think of anything else that's, uh, that's big and huge. And they put all the signs up, so that's that's Right. But so I'll, I'll have to find out, actually, what's, what's going on. I'll, I'll let you know. Because all around London, is, they've taken out parking bays. They've taken this out, the security. I've noticed, actually, in one of the papers today, they've got a piece on that, uh, that ghastly person. You know the one who, um, who was um, swinging from the, the cenotaph? The one who's got the famous father. He's been banned from going to the Olympics because they say he's a disruptive influence. And... Um, also, Susan Boyle is in the papers. Her neighbours have complained that she sings. I know, I've complained about Susan Boyle singing before. Uh, this is Pink Floyd, the star rioter's son. This is uh, the ghastly Charlie Gilmore. This is a man who swung from the cenotaph. 
I mean, frankly, a more despicable act you'd be hard-pushed to find. And he's been banned from London during the Olympic Games because he poses too much of a threat. Well, it's because you're a nasty little drunk, I think, and you've taken substances. He was high on LSD, Valium and whiskey. What a charming person. He said, uh, speaking about the ban, he said, it's lucky I gave up my childhood dream of high jumping for Britain because I'm banned from staying in London during the Games. The Metropolitan Police and the Probation Service decided I posed too much of a threat, which shows how much faith they have in the rehabilitation powers of the British penal system. I think you're a ghastly person, Mr Gilmore. I'm terribly sorry about that. Anybody who swings from a memorial to the war dead and then claims afterwards they didn't know what it is, it's either too stupid to go to Cambridge or just ignorant of the fact that, uh, that people died. Definitely green part to do with the Olympics. I thought it was, but the whole of the mall is closed off, so that, that means, you know, it's, it's chock-a-block around, around Trafalgar Square. It's not good. Jan Moyer is talking about Andy Murray with the runner-up play. A miserable git, she says. No, just Scottish. We're like that. Not all Scots are like that. Not all people. More people condemning the book about um, Ian Huntley, written by his brother, presumably cashing in. I can see no other words to use, I'm afraid, than cashing in. Somebody offers you a lot of money, and... Um, and you, you end up taking it, but, as I say, for the poor parents of the two little girls who lost their lives, they will not be, uh, not be enjoying that mention of Ian Huntley's name again. And uh, from Jackie to Tacky, Nina Mishkoff has done a piece in the paper today about um, the teenage magazines. Now, we've done this on LBC before, where if you look at the early magazines, uh, for example, Jackie which came out in 1964, and I believe Nina worked for, for Jackie, uh, they had a thing here... Uh, talking about on on Kathy and Claire page, one girl is about to set off youth hosteling, but hasn't an idea about prices. While another is is annoyed that Daddy insists on a on a week night curfew, and so what they've done is they've actually looked at the magazines. Bliss, by contrast, which is a new magazine, is aimed at uh, young girls. One young girl thinks she's too fat. A thirteen year old is worrying whether she's too big down below. And most shockingly, a teen wants advice on why. Oral sex leaves her feeling ill. And this is what the teen magazines today... And Nina Mishkoff says here, it's just ridiculous. On romance, a page on the art of being kissable, with such gems as Don't Laugh and Don't Kiss and Tell in Jackie magazine, followed in Bliss magazine by an explicit talk about contraception, which is a magazine, I believe, aimed at 9- to 13-year-olds. Um, on celebrity gossip, the page dedicated to gossip reveals Paul McCartney in Jackie magazine. Fans think he shaves with green toothpaste and have been sending him loads of toothpaste. This is in Jackie. By, by contrast, Bliss, apparently Molly from the Saturdays, whoever she is, is obsessed with blazers, and pop group JLS love Weetabix. I mean, you do worry, don't you, about the sanity of these people. And um, freebies. Uh, Jackie, this week's gift is the twin heart love ring, which promises to help a girl find love. This is from the 1960s. Bliss, if you sign up for, uh, for six months of Bliss delivered to the door, each lucky reader will get a free goodie bag of four fake tans. And that's what it comes down to. That's Bliss magazine for you. But it's, it's mainly dealing with sort of the, uh, with, with the sex side. It's, it's quite appalling. Uh, then there's Jules, Jules uh, Oliver. This is Jamie Oliver's very insecure wife, who apparently checks his emails, his phone, his tweets. His twi she checks everything to make sure he's not cheating. She says she thinks it's normal behaviour. He says it's not. And he's absolutely right. It's not normal behaviour. It's, it's a paranoid person worrying that he might be. Because, I mean, are you hoping that he's cheating on you? I'm assuming you must be, because otherwise you wouldn't bother checking, because you, you would trust somebody. But, I mean, hands up, how many people would check their partner's phone? 
Would you actually tell them? I mean, she's actually told him that, that she checks it. So quite clear, if he's going to cheat, he's going to have to find another way of doing it because she checks everything. The other story of the paper, and it's, it's one that is uh, it's more a visual story, I'm afraid. It's a woman executed by the Taliban for, uh, for adultery. Uh, this woman was shot five times. Uh, 150 men cheered and whooped and clapped and everything else. She'd had an affair. She was married. She'd had an affair with uh, another one of the Taliban. And um, and this this execution, it's, it shows a bearded man reading verses from the Quran condemning adultery. But, of course, unfortunately, in the, in the Taliban and in some of these people's eyes, they, they shoot the woman. The man gets patted on the back. Men, men never suffer in these kind of things. She's wearing a burqa. She's looking away from the camera. And they show all the pictures on the television. And then the, uh, the husband shoots her. He's allowed to shoot her because that's their law. You've never heard of anything so barbaric in your entire life. We've heard terrible stories of people being executed, young lovers. And God help you if you're gay. Because that doesn't work at all well, I'm afraid. And the fate of the commander is, uh, is not known. She had this affair. Strangely enough, Hillary Clinton... Uh, yesterday made a passionate plea to Afghanistan to give more power to its women. How can you deal with a backward nation? How can you explain to somebody, I'm sorry, these are women. You know, they have a right to everything. But uh, this man has got a machine gun and uh, they've been showing it on Sky. Sky have shown little clips of it. It's absolutely appalling. It is absolutely appalling. We hear horrendous stories of people who have been stoned to death for their adultery and yet the man gets off scot-free. They always look at it as the woman's fault. They're, they're, they're too stupid to realise anything else. And, uh, and you can't explain to them. They, they sort of claim that's their interpretation of the Koran. Sadly, of course, it's not everybody's interpretation. Uh, Susan Boyle singing, and the neighbours have said, we've had enough, but if, for God's sake, stop singing. I agree with you. Tone deaf, I'm afraid. Absolutely ghastly. I never thought Susan Boyle was a fantastic singer, but now her next-door neighbour, who lives uh, next door to her, has said, I've had enough. She said, it's driving me mad. You can understand it, can't you, really? F- 14 to 6. <laughs> LBC 97.3, London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, 10 to 6. Uh, we finally got sent in, Anna sent in, very kindly. We were talking about the film Carve Her Name with Pride, which was uh, about the, uh, the agent, uh, Violette Zabo. And at the end of it, she has to learn a poem. And she has to learn the poem, which is the which is the uh, the key to everything in the movie it was uh, it was issued to her uh because poems were used to encrypt messages and she reads this poem at the end she's uh, she's actually caught by the uh, the nazis she's tortured and killed by them and at the end of the film which stars virginia mckenna it's a good british film uh they read this poem she reads the poem over the uh, end credits and this was the poem that she had to learn. It, it's, it, it's difficult to ascertain whether or not the poem was, was, was actually original or written for the movie. The author, Susan Ottaway, uh, said it was, but it was the, the poem was called The Life That I Have, sometimes referred to as yours. Short poem, they say, written by Leo Marx and used as a, a poem code in the Second World War. And it went as follows. The life that I have is all that I have, and the life that I have is yours. The love that I have of the life that I have is yours and yours and yours. A sleep I shall have, a rest I shall have, yet death will be but a pause. For the peace of my years in the long green grass will be yours and yours and yours. Apparently it was also used at the, at the wedding of Chelsea Clinton. 
<laughs> seems rather rather peculiar, doesn't it? Uh, Richard says, thank you for your opinion on the Wimbledon final. Spot on, as usual. By the way, did you notice Sue Barker's gaffe at the beginning of the, courage, co- uh, the coverage? She said, and I quote, we've just heard that Scotland's First Minister, Sir Alex Ferguson, has just arrived. <laughs> A surprise to uh, Alex Salmond, I would think, an even bigger one for Alex Ferguson, who I'm sure didn't know he was involved in politics. Remarkably, nobody picked up on it. Yes. But it's it's the same as anything, isn't it? It's very nice for the coverage. And the papers today are all, you know, Andy did us proud. But it's no good saying that. He lost. You know, so so what we end up doing, you know, whilst I feel immensely sad for him, and don't get me wrong, you know, to actually get that far is great. But he lost. It would be nice to see a picture of Roger Federer on the front page of the papers because he was the winner. But again, we applaud the underdog, as with all these things. You know, people behave badly, we put them on the front pages of newspapers. So you put somebody like that on there, they say, Andy did us proud, now bring... He didn't do us proud, he lost. If he'd done us proud, he would have won. You know, let's hope we do better in the Olympics. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that one, absolutely. So, uh, thank you, Richard, for that. But I'm, I'm, I wasn't really that, that bothered about, about tennis. You know, I, I like watching the end bit. I just like to find out who's actually won the thing. Because there's so much noise going, especially with the women's. Especially with the women's games, it just goes on forever and a day. It's going to be fun this week, says little Julie. Read the problems on the, uh, the M4, especially as my work have uh, a lot of customers and deliveries in the areas affected. Well, there you go, and hello to the Facebookers this morning. So, morning to, uh, to them. So, it is going to be a big, big problem, so stay tuned to LBC 97.3. You can probably help yourselves through it, because no doubt, Nick, this morning... I mean, it's, it's building up already. It's building up already. So, at, at quarter past five this morning, we were saying that around Osterley... And around Brentford, it's getting very busy. We're looking on the cameras and the cameras are looking busy. So the advice is set off early, at least an hour earlier. So if you leave for work at seven and you drive in, set off at six. Because it, it is going to be very, very bad indeed. Mark says, I don't really know how Heathrow will be able to cope with the Olympics. The coach park was full to the rafters yesterday. It took my passengers two hours from landing to get through Terminal 5. It's going to be chaos with just everyday passengers and Olympic passengers. BAA, I've got a serious problem. Um, it's, it's, well, it's bad enough with the motorway closing at the moment, let alone worrying about all the other things going on. And you're, you're right. It's, it's going to be an increase. I don't know how many more people are going to turn up for the Olympics. I don't, you know, I, I don't know whether or not London is going to be as chock-a-block as they, as they say. Steve says, how come they've just found this crack? They've been working underneath it for two years. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Am I the only one who was laughing at the sycophantic tweets yesterday concerning Murray losing it? It became the Diana syndrome of wailing, says Johnny, still smiling. Yes, it's as I said before, listen, if he was good, he'd have won. But there's only two people. The better one won, our one didn't win. So let's get over it and let's move on and let's, let's do what we said before, which is going to be fantastic, you know, and he might win again. I tend to find, though, that, you know, once people have been there, once they've made a load of... Why should he, why should he worry about it? Why should he worry about it? Uh, Sharon says, somebody should tell Mrs Oliver, this is uh, Jamie Oliver's wife, that checking pockets, phones, is a waste of time, creating a false sense of security. My female friends who've done that are the ones cheated on. A cheat doesn't carry evidence around. Yes, they, they tend not to... I think women, though, I've said before, I think women, you, you, you ladies know if your man is cheating. There will be things that they will do that will be out of the ordinary. They'll, they'll start going out more with their friends. They'll start wearing a bit of aftershave. They'll start sort of staying out later. You know, they'll come home. They'll be too tired for a little bit of age. You know, they'll be, you know, because that's just... And people know. 
I'm convinced that people know. You do, because if you've been married to somebody, and they've been married long enough, she probably knows him, you know, she knows everything about him. If he'd started doing something out of the ordinary, she'd be the first one to know. But to actually check his tweets and check his phone, and oh, dear. It shows a great insecurity in her marriage. She thinks it's not. She thinks it's perfectly normal to check phones and to check, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. I don't. For some strange reason, I, th- I think that's slightly... It's like somebody going through your post, isn't it? Isn't that that kind of thing? Forget Murray. Ernest Borgnine died, said Johnny. Another true great of Hollywood and a brilliant actor of the old school. 95 he was. 95. Nobody's going to criticise Sue Barker, Steve, in case she bazookas them, like in that Go Compare ad. But yes, I've seen her. She bazookas the man singing, doesn't she? But to be honest with you, have you noticed that all these people are just coining it by doing adverts now? Everybody's doing adverts, all these famous people. And yet, strangely, there is one man in the paper today who, uh, who has opted out. Opted out of an advert... Stephen Merchant, has, uh, they've reached stalemate in, uh, in the, the advert that he does for the Barclays, and they can't agree, so he, after three years, he's stopping doing them. Which I find, because I'm assuming they must be quite lucrative. Most of those sort of adverts are, are very lucrative, aren't they? And there's a lovely picture of, uh, of Demi Moore, and it turns out her, her daughters have stopped speaking to her because they can't handle the drama in her life. Which I find is very strange. Relations between the actress and her children, rumour... Scout and Tallulah. Oh, got the oddest name. They're barking mad over there. You think you think we're mad over here? Print, sorry, Peaches, Pixie, and Heavenly Hirani, Tiger Lily. I mean, I ask you. Small wonder the mother had to take substances. But anyway, Miss Morris said to hate that the girls maintain a close relationship with her ex, Aston Kutcher. This is a man who ch- I thought Aston Kutcher cheated. So the girls remain close to him, and uh, and so they're not talking to their mother. Sad, isn't it, really? Imagine if you called Rumour and Tallulah. Quite like the the idea. Scout. Scout. (laughs) Shouldn't laugh. There's probably somebody listening called Scout. I don't apologise, actually. I think if you called some balmy names. Like, at the moment, everybody seems to be called Chantel. Everywhere you go, there's somebody called Chantel, and you know it's such a naff name. He does have a... Yes, he he definitely... he, He went off with somebody. He definitely did. He definitely doesn't make any difference. It's in America. Nobody cares about it. Different ju- ju- uh, jurisdiction over there. But I'm sure he did. And um, because he, they've been they've been together for ages and ages. I liked her in that film Ghost, though. I thought she was quite good in Ghost. Didn't think it was at all believable, but you know, I quite liked the idea. Uh, also, the paper today, they reckon that if we had longer jail terms. 100,000 crimes would be slashed. So locking up prisoners for longer periods and better policing could cut crime by more than 100,000 each year. Well, we said, I I said on Friday on the programme, when I came in, there was a man who had climbed into, having decimated the flower bed thing that they put up round Leicester Square, climbed in to, uh, to go to the toilet behind a tree with a policeman standing there watching him who never did a thing. Not a thing. Presumably the paperwork for somebody, you know urinating in public is uh, is not worth the hassle so they don't bother anymore that's why and i was telling a friend of mine yesterday i said you'd love leicester square now doesn't look any different from when it did 18 months ago except now there's nowhere to sit but the good news is they put some table tennis tables in so that's exciting isn't it i might fancy a quick game of table tennis but if you want to sit down forget it i thought the whole idea of london squares is that you sit down and you you enjoy the scenery please put the benches back westminster it looks so naked without them news at six is next LBC 97.3. Call 0845 6060 Text 84850. Tweet at LBC 973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen 
Just as well, you know, we found this uh, crack on the M4 before the Olympics kicked in. Can you imagine? The, the Olympics starts, and all of a sudden, the main route into London is a no-go area. I mean, it would just be ridiculous. But it is the main story this morning. Mind you, the other story that I quite like the sound of, uh, and I, I was just going to mention it to you before Sam Pitt has mentioned it in the news, is this fat-busting jab. I like this idea of an injection which can uh, be used against obesity because it could help diabetics as well. It could help diabetics quite seriously. Tests have resulted in weight reductions of between 10 and 20% within days. I'm willing to go for an injection. I'm willing to be, you know, that person, I think. Uh, it's, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's an American company, as per usual. And uh, before anything gets done here, it has to be tested in this country, so it could take for ages and ages. Uh, they've actually said... That obesity, of course, is the first major epidemic of the 21st century, which it is. I mean, you look at every day, there's stories in the paper of people who have overeaten or some people who just react badly. They've got that uh, Georgina girl who weighed in at 56 stone. She thought she was 63, but she's only 56. And it's because she was eating 20 kebabs a week, fizzy drinks, cakes. She's eating all, all the stuff which is guaranteed to make you fat. And, of course, the one thing she wasn't doing was getting any exercise. In fact, she couldn't even actually leave the house and yet managed to make it to the bathroom. Why she couldn't walk into an ambulance, I've got no idea. They had to take down half the wall. And uh, she's going to a fat camp funded by the family, we're told. That's what the press department have told us. It's funded by the family. And, of course, the good news is that the family have sold every story about her to the newspapers, and she sold stories as well. So she must have made a tidy bit of money through being that fat. So the next thing is she'll make money through being thin, if ever she gets to be thin, because now she's not having what she used to have for breakfast. Now she's just having some cereal and toast, and that's the kind of thing that, uh, that gets her through the day. But I like this idea of this injection. I mean, why can't they use her as a guinea pig? Or anybody, I'll volunteer to be a guinea pig. It doesn't bother me do enough injections as it is at the moment, but they, they said they were surprised by the weight loss between 10 and 20% within days, and you have it monthly. So I, I like that idea. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely warming to that idea of an injection because it doesn't. If, if they say it costs £100, to be honest with you, it's worth spending £100 a month on an injection if it's going to help you lose the weight. I don't quite understand how it works... But uh, at the moment, the only medical weight loss alternatives, as far as I can see, are surgery and strong drugs that can have serious side effects. It's the same with anything. I'm sure if I went into, uh, into goods and had a word with Mr Shah later on today, he could probably show me loads of dietary aids, things that would help you lose weight. And as a diabetic, you know, we're encouraged to lose weight because that can contribute to your diabetes. And there's lots of people who have diabetes. No, it's not always fat. You know, you can have different sorts of diabetes. But it's the kind of thing that you worry about. So I wonder whether or not they go, yes, it's a great injection, this, in America, because there might be people who would travel to America if they released it over there and have, and have, have the treatment in America and then come back to this country. It just means you fly once a month over there before somebody starts selling it on the internet and you start, uh, you start buying it that way. Or failing that, somebody brings out another rather tacky version of it. We were saying about how many... Fake items there are now. Everything's fake. You go to the market, you'd be hard pushed to find something genuine in a market or a car boot, wouldn't you? If somebody's selling UGG boots, Charles, I mean, the, the fakes look so good. And they, uh, at one time, market traders used to joke, you know, this hasn't just fallen off the back of a lorry, ha, ha, ha. In which case, you used to think you were buying st stolen goods in the market. Nowadays, of course, the chances are they are stolen goods or failing that. They're all just, um, they're just made in, in Chinese factories. I'd love to go to China and find out where these things come. I'd like to follow the line back through again to find out, you know, exactly where all these little factories are and exactly what they're turning out. The, um... The couple fighting for their lives in hospital last night after a driver swerved head-on into their family car in an apparent suicide. 
Elba Twamey and her husband Con don't know that their two-year-old son, Oisin, an unborn baby, were killed in the crash. The couple, both from Cork, who are in a critical condition, have, um, have kept a vigil at their bedside. The family of the couple have kept a vigil since the crash in Torquay in Devon. The other driver was a Polish man in his 20s. It appears that he deliberately crashed into them. Now, whether or not it was a suicide bid, or he was one of these people that uh, has an accident so that they can then claim off the insurance companies, I've got no idea. But he has died since, and uh, the wife in this particular case, Elba Twamey, uh, it's apparently been transferred to Derriford Hospital and she's now in a critical condition. It's, it, it is, it, I've always said, it's the other drivers on the motorway. It's not yourself you need to worry about. It's the other people on the motorway. By the way, there's more wet weather on the way, just in case you were thinking in certain parts of the country that uh, it's all gone away now. No, absolutely not, I'm afraid. More floods on the way and the temperature will plummet. And it's now got to that situation where, you know, hanging baskets are not looking as good as they could do because, and apparently yesterday... I got back and uh, I was chatting on the phone on the way back home. My, my friend Lynn said to me, she said, where have you... I said, been in, in town for lunch. And she said, we've just had hailstones. Hailstones in July. Hailstones in July. I mean, absolutely unbelievable. Talking of unbelievable, I see that poor old Lempit Opic, the former failed comic, the former failed MP, the former failed reality show host, the former failed boyfriend of one of the uh, the cheeky girls, the former, in fact, just everything he's ever touched, he's failed at. He's now apparently uh, accepted an invitation um, to be flown out to Nigeria as a motivational business speaker to young trainees. William Hickey, writing the Express, says, How short on motivation can they be in Nigeria to ask somebody as dim as Lembit Opic as a motivational speaker? He can't even get his own, uh, his own house in order, I'm afraid. And uh, more pictures in day and night, I'm afraid, of Christine Bleakley. Uh, still not working and uh, still doing a little bit of charity and still droning on about her forthcoming marriage to a footballer. And that's about it. Do you think they actually had anything in common when she was sitting in the box and I think she was watching something and Posh and Becks were there? Do you think Victoria Beckham's thinking, I'm not talking to you? I'm not talking. She wouldn't even talk to... Oh, I'm looking at the traffic coming in, actually. The traffic coming in is slow, 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 I'm afraid. And uh, it's, it's just getting really bad. Really bad. So this is the M4 closure, OK? And bearing in mind, of course, they have to get it sorted by Thursday because of all the uh, the officials who are coming in and all the people who will be flying into London. And they'll be sort of sending them out. Can you imagine? And you've got to get from Heathrow Airport to Stratford, the other side of London. I mean, it's a bad enough journey during the daytime. It can take a good hour from here because we did it the other week, to actually get out to the Olympic site. Uh, more in the papers today on the death of, uh, of Natalie Wood. And the death certificate has been changed from accident to undetermined. This is because the coroner uh, has said that were bruises found on her skin, they can't tell if her death was the result of foul play, and that while she did drown, it's unclear how she got into the water. Now, there have been rumours about this story for... Goodness knows, as long as I've been uh, reading newspapers on LBC 97.3 of, uh, of exactly what happened that night on the boat. And nobody ever knew. The, the end result was, though, that Natalie was pulled from the sea and she had drowned. But the coroner has now said that he wants to change the death certificate. So her death has now changed from accident, which is what they thought it was originally, to 
undetermined. Why they couldn't have seen the bruises to start with, I've got no idea. That's the kind of thing you would notice, I would have thought, bruises. And um, so they've now changed it. But what happened that night, we will never know. There were only two other people on the boat with her. Uh, presumably they know, or failing that, they don't know. Either way, we're never going to find out. 14 minutes past six. LBC 97.3, London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. By the end of today, it's going to be known as your M4 station. It's going to be, we're going to get more phone calls from people who are going to be sitting in traffic jams. Already, you can see on the traffic cameras that it's building up, and it's, it's seriously, seriously bad, and it's going to get much, 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 much uh, worse, I'm afraid, for today. They've said, allow an extra hour and a half on your journey. That's not just if you're coming into London, that's if you're heading out of London. Maybe you're going to see relatives, or if you're going to the airport, God help you, if you go to Heathrow, you need to set off in plenty of time, because there's going to be so much traffic all coming in on very, very small roads, as opposed to just coming in off the motorway. So, take extra time, keep the radio tuned to LBC 97.3, and we're going to have updates every 15 minutes. Every 15 minutes. Uh, Talking of updates, actually, I feel ever so sorry for a guy called Doug McLean today. He's in the paper. Doug McLean is just just an ordinary motorist. He was driving down the road and he saw saw a pretty girl. Well, he actually saw her her bottom. And uh, and so he turned around to have a look because he wanted to see if the face was as good as, as the bottom was. Unfortunately for him, a police car was waiting down the road and they've nicked him for driving without due care and attention. He's been fined £60. £60. He said, it's just ridiculous. £60 for looking at a pretty girl in the street. A Thames Valley police officer said we would remind motorists that they have a duty not to be distracted by anything at all, not just gorgeous people, and so lose concentration while they're driving. I mean, in theory, they are, they are probably right. But, I mean, it just seems a little bit excessive. We were sort of... We were going out for dinner in Epping on Saturday night. Seems a lot of eating out this weekend. But anyway, Epping. And we're just about to cross the road. We sort of parked up, taking a couple of cars down. And the lights changed. And so we're walking across the road. Well, in fact, the, the kids were walking across the road. And Chris and I were looking in the estate agent's window. We said, well, don't worry, we'll do the next one. And all of a sudden, there's a bang like that. And one car has gone into the back of another one. So the woman was stationary. And, uh, unfortunately, it was a blonde... It was Essex. It was fake hair. It was fake tan. She quite clearly had been either doing her nails at the wheel or she'd been on the phone texting or doing something because the, the car in front was stationary at the traffic light. She cannot have been looking at the car in front. There were people walking across the road, but the bang. And so she, as opposed to them pulling straight into the side of the road, they both got out in the middle of the road by the, uh, by the traffic lights and they both started. The poor woman in front, who was a little bit older... Than the, than the bimbo type behind, look traumatised, because it's, if a car hits you at the back, all the bumpers are plastic now, most bumpers are plastic, and they make this horrible noise. So I should imagine there'd be a good five, six hundred pounds worth of damage there, and they sort of, you know, you, you do what you do whenever you have an accident. You ta- if you can, if you can remember, if your hands will stop shaking, take a photograph of any damage that's been done, I try and take a picture of the person. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't regularly have ac- uh, accidents, let me tell you, but uh, I have taken photographs before. Just in case, you know, you say, he was driving, and he went, no, 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 not me. My wife was driving. Went, no, 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 you were driving. I know. I've got a picture. And uh, so that's what you need to do, and you need to take a photograph of the number plate, so at least you've got all the details. But you could see that the, one in, the woman in front was having a bit of a tra- traumatic day, poor soul. And uh, not her best thing. And always remember that if you go into the back of somebody, it's automatically your fault. There's never any excuse for it at all. 
you know, you should have kept your distance from the car in front, which is something she didn't do. So in the case of poor old Doug McLean, who just turns around to look at somebody... I mean, we've all done it, haven't we? Yeah, we've all done it. I did... Actually, I, I, was, I did something. What did I do once? Oh, that's right, I went into the back of a taxi. God help us. This woman got out. I say woman. It was, it was fairly Wagnerian. It was sort of boiler... You could hear a boiler suit creaking the moment the door opened. And she sort of get out. And it, it was... The, there wasn't a mark on it. Not a mark, because I'd literally, I'd just sort of edged forwards just a fraction, and I've taken my foot a little bit off the brake, so it's it sort of, it sounded worse than it was. Oh, she let fly. You need to be taking, I've never had an accident in 400 years driving and all this. I said, well, bully for you. Lucky you're so perfect. You know, it's always nice to meet somebody who's that perfect, isn't it? I always like it when, when somebody tells you they've never had an accident all my years drive. They've seen hundreds, but they've never actually had one themselves. 84850, uk. We've sorted out the uh, problem, hopefully, for Paul about uh, Saturday. So, sorry, Sunday. Uh, OK, you're right. Andy didn't do as proud he lost, but this is how we bring up our children. We tell them that taking part is all that matters. No, it's not right. It's not. It's 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 winning. Winning is, supposed, is, is the thing that matters, Lee. You know, it's, you know, it's, you know, if he did his best, he still came second. He needs to do something else. Yes, it's true. I mean, if there's only two of you and one wins, the other one is lost. There's no point in telling kids that's OK. It's not the winning, it's the taking part. No, it's not. It's the winning. And if you instil in children that, you know, to come second is OK, then what's that, that's what they'll actually end up doing. They'll say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be a reality star anyway. I'm going to be famous for doing nothing. So nobody bothers, do they? In fact, nowadays, you know, failures become successful. It's, it's as, as simple as that. Fab jab. Oh, goody. Something to make humans even more lazy and weak-willed than ever. Waits until it loses its licence and anybody can make it. Then Jackie magazine can give it free. There is no Jackie magazine. And teenagers can be a size zero before they get pregnant. There's a woman in the paper today, yesterday, and her daughter at 14 is pregnant. And she's delighted because in the family they've had, a, she said, it might be her only opportunity because we've had lots of miscarriages. Her daughter's pre- All I kept thinking was, who has raped your daughter at 14? I want to know, you know, who, who is the bloke? Who she's been having unprotected sex with? What a stupid girl. You know, terrible that the family have had so much misery. But for 14-year-olds to be having sex, I'm afraid, absolutely dreadful, absolutely dreadful. Um, are there a lot of uh, overweight police officers? Angela thinks that Camden Town is full of them. Uh, John in Essex says, is it not Vicky Butler Henderson with the bazooka? No, no, it's Sue. It's Sue. Hooey. Sorry, sorry. Happily wandering off into my own little world this morning. Uh, it's, it's been established that the crack in the motorway was apparently found last March. And Peter in Romford says, hope the M4 is sorted out as the old M4 bus lane, which is now an Olympic lane, comes into force on the 15th. Uh, Steve says, uh, are you sure the announced closure is correct? My kitchen overlooks the M4 between Junction 3 and 4. It depends coming in or out. There's different bits of it. Coming out, it's, it's closed from 1 to Two coming in, it's closed from one from three to one. I think that's how it works. I have to try and remember actually which way round. So it is. It is definitely two, two to three. Two to three both ways. Okay, two to three both ways. So that's that's why. So look for that alternative route, and it's going to take you round. I'm afraid Brentford and Hounslow, and God, you'll be all over the place. But if you're coming into town, you're going to have to go sort of further out, and then. Do it uh, all the way back round the opposite way. But if you keep it tuned to LBC 97.3, we'll try and guide you through it. But the advice is, the advice is set off earlier. Set off much, much earlier, OK? Because you're going to need at least 
an extra hour. Front pages of the papers this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, this is for Monday, July the 9th. And it will rain later on today, just in case you were worried that maybe summer had arrived. It hasn't. Uh, Sharon Stone is talking about how she escaped death twice. Uh, strangely enough, the wonder jab cutting weight in days is directly underneath the free Maltesers for every re- reader with the Daily Express. Obviously wondering how on earth you get fat, presumably eating chocolates. Uh, tearful Andy Murray. I'd rather have seen a picture of Roger Federer. Uh, on the front of the, uh, the mail today, no picture of Roger Federer at all. And uh, they just sees Andy's heroic defeat. Tearful Kate, Kim. Because I think after Andy Murray started crying, I think his uh, girlfriend cried and then they cut to his mum and she was crying. So everybody cried, except Victoria Beckham, who was still trying to sort of hold up her clothes and go, I make these. Uh, The Sun this morning. Murray's Wimbo final agony. Anyone for Ennis? Andy did us proud, they say. My argument is, no, he didn't, because he lost. Would have been nice if he'd won. Andy weeps. After the final defeat, say the mirror, but wins the hearts of the nation. Because people like people crying. Except some of the LBC audience don't like anything like that at all. The criticism it came in for overnight. Obviously some very hardened people out there. Actually, probably not hardened. They're just sort of pretending to be hardened. Uh, the Metro, new balls, please. B-A-W-L-S. The Times, win or lose. You'd never know, actually. Every single paper, The Independent, has got Andy Murray on the front page. You know, I thought Roger Federer would be getting the, the publicity. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, the Times, as I say, Andy Murray's on the front page, and he's on the front page of the Daily Telegraph as well. So uh, poor old Roger Federer didn't get a look in, and he was the winner. So perhaps uh, perhaps next time, and as the Times say, um, it all ends in tears for Murray. Uh, Chancellor George Osborne infuriating taxpayers tomorrow by opposing EU plans to cut obscene bank bonuses. Absolutely. They're now, I think, trying to... Uh, to make sure that Mr Diamond gives some of his money back, some of his uh, £17 million. We'll no doubt be hearing about that a little bit later on today. Nick Ferrari will be talking about the M4 closures and, uh, and the crying as well, uh, whether or not uh, Mr Murray was, was right to cry. I thought it was fine. I think crying endears you to people. You know, if you, if you burst into tears. I mean, not on a regular basis, but if it's something that emotional, then that's the kind of thing that's going to affect you and you're going to cry. We're back with you uh, tomorrow morning. I wish you a pleasant journey into work today, as pleasant as it can be, and uh, hopefully get there in one piece. Don't forget, if you normally set off, you know, at around 7 o'clock, I'd, I'd start leaving a bit earlier, I'm afraid, today. At least an hour earlier, just to make sure, because you're going to hit all sorts of problems. And you're only going to take one car to break down somewhere between, you know, here and the A316 or the Great West Road, and it's going to cause absolute chaos. It's going to be bad enough as it is, but if you stay tuned to LBC 97.3, we'll keep you... Uh, Hopefully on the right road and the one that's moving, which will be quite nice. Talk to you tomorrow morning between 4 and 6.30. Nick and the team with you at 7. We'll have a free podcast for you up by 7 o'clock this morning, which is the best bits of the Sunday papers, which means it's lots of celebrity stuff. Coming up next on LBC 97.3, the morning news with Susan Bookbinder.